0: Welcome to a special In The Money Players podcast. This is the NHC edition. Nick Tamaro here. I am going to be walking you through some interviews. We're going to do probably 10 to 12 interviews. Uh, all should be done early in the week. So if you're listening to this, hopefully I got it done by Tuesday. That was my plan. So that the majority of people traveling to Las Vegas could listen in. Pete Fornital gladly allowed me to substitute for him in doing this quite shockingly, as it was definitely a bit of an arduous task, getting all the moving pieces to uh, get in place. And I'm going to start things off with somebody who usually interviews me. So it's actually kind of fun to turn the tables a little bit. And he's going to be out in Las Vegas on Wednesday as well uh, with live shows on Thursday and Friday and a lot of content. But I'm going to let him explain a little bit more of it to you. Steve Bick is joining me to get this NHC podcast started. My friend, a little role reversal for us.
1: I'm I'm happy to field some some Q&A. You're happy to be the A instead of the Q this time, right? Yeah, there
0: you go. I you know, I have to start off Steve by saying that I don't think that everybody like I arranged I so it's Sunday. I just finished calling the races here at Sam Houston we're we're doing this podcast. I arranged I think 11 interviews. It has taken me a day and a half to do it. It has been a complete pain in the ass. The fact that you basically you produce your own show five days a week with as many guests as you have, and even some a holes like me that don't text you back right away, stuff like that. Man, I, I was impressed by
1: you before, and that now I have even more admiration. Well, it's very kind. Uh, I you know I think uh, a lot of it is is just habit and practice, and I, I've also I've also in the last few years gone a little free form as well, uh, and, and have even done less planning. Uh, you know, I, I, mean, there's certain, there's certain circumstances. I mean, Friday is preview and we know, you know, uh, we know we're going to preview all the races and then Monday is all the, you know, a lot of the successful connections and in between, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I just kind of fill in the blanks, you know, ripped from today's headlines. And, and I also, I also have started to literally just reach out to people as as the the morning progresses, which has actually produced some really fun uh, kind of on the fly conversations. And I, I, I'm going to probably do more of that and, and just, you know, just literally I reach out to people, you know, minutes before I'm going to call them. And, uh, it's, it's kind of a departure from, you know, the planning and, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm always reaching out to people first thing in the morning and getting, you know, ideally I like to have six people, uh, you know, fill in the morning. Uh, but I, you know, there's days where we have seven or eight and, uh, you know, it occurs to me, on a morning that, you know, so-and-so would be a, a good interview. So I, I, and timely interview. So you, you more or less react to what's going on in the industry day to day. And the script writes itself. I, I want it to be, I've always said it. for me, it's, it's supposed to be the today show of, of horse racing. I like it. I like it. You're definitely
0: not the Matt Lauer of horse racing though. So that's a good, good trade-off, but, um, so let's talk a little bit of NHC. So this is how many NHCs now in a row have you gone out for? Um, is this what six? No. I, th- I think it's more, more actually. I, mean, I, it's, I, it's, I should
1: look if I, if, I, if I looked at the if I looked at the champ uh, at the champions list, that would make it uh, easier for me. You were at know, Paul Matisse, right? Uh, oh yeah.
0: You were at John O'Neill. Yeah. It's at it least before eight, then. I don't know. I, I, think so that's I should know this. I mean, obviously, this is a, a host fail, as Pete would say. But um, I would say that so I John O'Neill is when I, I hadn't qualified in years. And then
1: uh, he was 2015 Arias 2014. I was there for Jose Arias. And, and I, I've I've always had I, I, this is a terrible admission. I've had a I had a, a rough start getting friendly with with Arius because of the difficulty of the familiarity with trainer Juan Arius. And so it, it, it was like a mental block to, to call him Juan Arius, because, of course, Juan was, you know, yeah, good. It still is a, a good trainer. And and so it, that name just stuck in my head. So I, I know the, the first few times I talked to him and I, I don't think that sat very well. And and I, I've always hoped that, you know, he understood that because I know I apologized about it. Uh, but uh, it, it, I, I know that. So I know that I was there for him. Definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, all um, these right before
0: that. So it's at least 10 in a row
1: unbelievable. Uh, yeah. Wow.
0: No, time wow. flies, no doubt about it. So it's wow. and it's already 2023, which is, yeah, it's pretty, pretty shocking. So I guess walk us through a little bit about what the coverage is going to look like. I know you're in the ballroom live on Thursday and Friday mornings for your regular show. And then there's going to be some additional coverage
1: on uh, both Saturday and Sunday of the weekend too, right? Well, yeah, Friday, you know, Friday is the toughest day because I've got we've got the morning show, the weekend preview. And of course, Tampa Bay Derby day uh, is the, is the focus, but uh, you know, then you come back and we start the afternoon coverage of day one uh, on, on Friday. And uh, we'll probably do about, we, we do a, just a little less coverage on Friday uh, than uh, Saturday and Sunday. And then Saturday and Sunday, it's wall to wall, typically anywhere from five to six hours.
0: Yeah, that's great and I know everybody will be looking forward to it. They can get the uh, the non so the coverage that's not in the morning during your show is on stevebick.com.
1: Yeah, it's a, right off the website and uh, and actually I I will touch base with the I'll, I'll I'll touch base with the network. I think we've we've been the network has had time in the past occasionally to let us come on the weekend uh, on the on the on Sirius or XM or both but I I'm, I'm going to imagine that being what conference champion uh weekend at at NCAA time I got a feeling this is this is going to be a bandwidth problem uh, there's going to be way too many play-by-play games uh channels being utilized for you know for college basketball which which harkens us back to years ago when when the show was younger And, uh, they would, they would knock us off for a few days for the early rounds. When the, that first round of 64, I don't know if you remember this, Nick, but they would preempt me uh, when I was a four to seven show, they would preempt me, uh, on Thursday and Friday for the NCAAs. I remember That's when I started coming on your show regularly. I think was, was Oh nine. Did you go to, did you go to mornings in 2010? I, that sounds about right. Actually, uh, that sounds about right. Uh, it was after it was after a, a Belmont and they called me and they said, Steve, we got a problem. We've got so and so adding, you know, we, we're adding these shows from ESPN. And uh, so we don't know what to do with you. And I said, well, how about the morning? And they said, you you'll do a morning show. I said, Yeah. And they said, "Well, what, what, what do you think? What's good? Ten to one." I said, "All right, ten to one's fine." So we started ten to one, and about a, less than a year into that, they said, "How about nine? Can we move you nine to noon?" I said, "Yeah, that's great." And it's been nine to noon ever since, and it's fabulous. It sets up the day. I mean, you know, particularly when there's, you know, when there's something fun midweek, and uh, it leaves me the whole afternoon. I used to spend the whole day preparing for four to seven. And uh, I I much prefer the nine to twelve slot. And those of us that
0: know Steve well enough to have gotten an email or a text from him know that he's an early riser, so a morning show works better for you. I can always count on uh, on a four a.m. D- delivery of emails sometimes. So yeah, and and I think yeah. a morning show for our industry works better anyway, as it's kind yeah. of a more you know a more morning geared thing. And it was a little it was a little different to have to kind of work with. They're being racing and you'd stop and take racing and especially during Saratoga. So no, it, it really, really works great as a morning show. So, and I know everybody's really looking forward to the coverage this weekend. The NHC is a, is great theater. I think for anybody that goes and, and usually people like me who aren't in contention by the second day, they're just watching everything going on. And it's pretty, pretty interesting in that respect. How much better do you, would you say it is at Bally's than, uh, than Treasure Island? I found the setup. This is going to be only my second Bally's. NHC, but I found the setup to be significantly better.
1: Well, having everybody in the room in the same room goes a long way. Uh, and you know the way things were, not that anybody uh, had any complaints about Treasure Island, uh, they were a wonderful host. But it, this is this is a much better scenario to have everybody in one gigantic ballroom and it's one of the biggest rooms in vegas uh, apparently uh it's perfect and you know with the final table in the center it it, there's a lot there's a lot about the format and the setting that really works and you know i i typically am off uh in the front of the room i guess it's i don't know what side is the front but uh, maybe I'm in the back of the room, and uh, you know, a lot of times I'm with the I'm with the Hoodat group, the Hooday group, the <laughs> Doczilla, and and all the crazies from uh, uh, from Louisiana. They're close by, and and they pop on uh, the air quite a bit, uh, and they make they make it really a lot of fun. Rich Ang will be doing a lot of uh, co hosting as well. He'll the last several years rich has been basically there all three days with me uh, as a co-host and of course has got a very good uh, contest uh, history himself uh we'll have you know any number of of the regulars that you hear from uh the champ mike paycheck uh stops by regularly the matises uh you know and you of course uh so we'll we'll you know, we get the Chris Larmy, uh likes the Larmy Larmie. Larmy's a mic hound. He he loves to sit in. So uh, a lot of strategy. Uh, you know, a lot of straight handicapping. We just have fun handicapping the races. It is going to be different uh, with the March, the March setting, and and you, there's some adjustment probably, Nick. I, I think for everybody on that front. And you know, of course, we we had the August. Uh, version of it, which was interesting. I mean, there you've had to bob and weave the last few years. Yeah. I like the date change. I mean, obviously we're not worried
0: about weather and, and cancellations as much. And, you know, I think the racing in general is a little bit better into the month of March. So I do think the, uh, the date change will be welcomed pretty favorably by the uh, the contest public. One thing I can, I know everybody can rely on is there's going to be complaints And um, and those that complain generally are not going to have much. I don't think they'll have much to stand on in terms of the date. But I think Bally's has has been a very good host, at least in my experience, which was in that that August of 21 version of it. And I'm uh, I'm definitely looking forward to getting back out there without question.
1: Well, and and Bally's is in the process. We can't we got to stop calling it Bally's. We got to start calling it Horseshoe. Horseshoe, exactly. Yep. The uh, I do understand that Rachel McLaughlin, speaking of horseshoe, Rachel is going to be out there. She's going to be doing uh, uh, like cutaways and interviewing players and working the room. Uh, So, you know, she brings a certain degree of hijinks and wackiness um and and frivolity
0: was the word that i was going to use but yeah that's uh
1: frivolity uh frivolity works um she's actually going to be
0: on this podcast as well talking about the the horse coverage so yeah should be towards the end of it uh that's the plan as of right now as my my grand scheme comes
1: together well she uh she is full of mirth and uh it should be a lot of fun she'll come on with me quite a bit as well and uh listen it, it uh I know that some people initially uh, were nonplussed about the facility, and I think they're going to—they've got to kind of roll with this. Uh, they've been very good to the NTRA, and the most important part of this is their commitment to horse racing, and they really like the game. Uh, So from that standpoint, uh, we've got to give them leeway as they refashion, you know, one of the older, let's face it, it's one of the older properties uh, on the strip and they're going to rework it. It, it, They're in the process and we're going to be there another four years at least. And I think we'll see it transform while we're there.
0: I agree. I think that's well said, and I think they're they're going to do an excellent job as usual. I'm looking forward to seeing how things look a little bit differently. You alluded to the situation with the sports book, and there is no sports book now. At there uh, is just a. I'm sorry, there is no race book. It is a sports book that is generally geared a little bit more towards mobile, but there is going to be uh, plenty of, of uh, opportunity available for people to bet that want to do so in the uh, in the ballroom. And I know there'll be some direction given for that as well. So, Steve, we're really looking forward to having you out there. I don't want to keep you too long on this. And I really appreciate you joining me. I will see you in a couple of days, my friend.
1: I'll see you Wednesday night or or Thursday. And uh, wish everybody the best of luck that's coming out there. Uh, and you know, for those that are making their first trip, uh, don't be intimidated. Uh, there's been any number. Uh, first-year uh, qualifiers that have gone deep, uh, that have made it to final table. You only have to look at uh, somebody like uh, Dan Hart a couple of years ago. And uh, how about, uh, how about uh, Dale Day uh, that uh, made it to the final table? So I, I wish everybody the best of luck. We're going to have uh, a lot of fun and looking forward to it as always.
0: Very much so. Big thanks to Steve for getting us started here on this podcast, and we are going to move right along. All right, next up on the NHC Players Podcast, we have a competitor who is no stranger to the NHC. This is actually going to be his 21st appearance in the NHC. It's incredible to think that a streak has gone on that long. He's getting almost halfway to like a Joe DiMaggio caliber Talking about Trey Styles, my friend and normal co-host on Sharpie Time from Sam Houston Race Park. Nice to uh, have you with me in a slightly different format.
2: Yeah, thanks, Nick. You know I'm low tech. I appreciate you working with me here, but we got it going.
0: Yeah, once uh, once we cleared up some tech issues with Steve Vick, things got rolling a little bit faster there. <laughs> but, uh, Trey, so you finished second on the NHC Tour this year i'm I'm definitely not unskilled enough as an interviewer to ask you how it felt to end up second because I know you had the lead coming right down to the wire but tell us a little bit about what it was like chasing the tour and all of the kind of emotion and difficulty that went into the last couple of months trying to bid for that uh, that tour title
2: yeah well in fairness uh, at the very end i was i was chasing but yeah I held it for i don't know a couple months towards the end and then, uh, I got passed up uh, at the very end of despite I did. I really had no regrets because I had a run like I've never had. So, you know, that was my best shot. Didn't work out. Uh, didn't work out for first. But actually, I uh, just got my check today in the mail when I got uh, home today. So, uh, you know, that was all right. It was. Pre- it turned out pretty well. So of the
0: seven, you had seven uh, events where you scored points, according to the points detail on the uh, on your member profile how many of those were outright wins on horseplayers.com?
2: Um, I know I had two of the Friday wins cause I got really scoring on any of the other contests. They weren't large enough to, to break my uh, lowest score. So I really just was playing the Friday contest, uh, at, on Horseplayers, or, and, uh, so that's usually, you know, 400 and something people. I had a couple of first, uh, I think some, several top five finishes, um, I don't think I actually ended up with a live score. I think I bumped all my live scores off of my top seven. So next year, I'll have, they're going to change it back where you have to have a live score. So I guess that rule change for COVID helped me out quite a bit.
0: Okay, I see that. For somebody that has never paid much attention to the NHC tour, I did not realize that that that, uh, that restriction or that requirement was gone. But that makes sense now that your seven scores here. Um, and, they, of course, they ranged from April of 2022 through January Of this year so i mean it was a it was a pretty remarkable run and i mean i I don't participate much in online contests it's unfathomable to me for one person to win those friday contests twice so hats off great job and no shame in finishing second whatsoever i know uh, there's still plenty to be proud of yeah well thanks i used to
2: be the guy that sat in the crowd and laughed at the people that came in first or second thinking what kind of idiot would think that's you know time worth spending but you just kind of find yourself in it. And it turned out to be a lot of fun. It, it turned out to be profitable. So, uh, you know, it was a good time. Yeah. See,
0: I'm the idiot that sits in the crowd and thinks, Oh, how many of those people got even with the money that they got from the exactly. finish, uh, based on what they spent during the year. So t- 20 of these before the best of which for you was in 2020, you finished fifth uh, earned $75,000 as part of your prize. Interestingly, that was part of a three-year run where you only had one entry. Of course, you'll have two this year. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the year that you were successful, and then if you want, kind of branch out to the one versus two entry differences.
2: Sure. Well, the, yeah, I, I would prefer to have two. I, I know some people to think, think it's uh, distracting, or you know, causes them to split their tickets. I mean, that's—I I think you're much better off with two than one. Uh, but like you said, the year I did my—I had my highest finished. What I only had one entry, and you uh, know, I, mean, I just—it I, was kind of like this this tour year. I just kind of got on a roll, you know, where most of—not for the whole year certainly, but for that day or two days, just about every time you had a, you know. You, anybody's played the NHC No, you know you hear all the lamenting no oh, I should have done this or I should have done that or I got you know if I'd only done this I would won or whatever and it's just like every one of those decisions went my way that that weekend so yeah I, I just kind of caught lightning there uh, and I don't you know, I didn't do anything different other than you know I just had one entry that year but um I, I don't know I, I can't really explain it I don't I don't know I wish I could you know capture that and and then I'd repeat it but I just kind of got on a roll where everything broke my way
0: and it makes sense. And I think anybody that's going to be successful in this tournament is going to need it. You know, I feel like the one thing I could say about – I've only cashed once. Um, the I lost very few photos that year, right? It just yeah. felt like when I when I needed a bob, I got it. And when I needed a horse that was third, I got it. When I, when I needed a horse to be second, I got it. Um, it's been uh, – it, it was just one of those kind of things. So I guess you experienced something pretty similar, all things considered, I think one of the things that people a lot of people listening to this will be a little bit interested in is uh, what does your preparation look like? And, and I mean, it's we're we're taping this on Sunday. It's Sunday late afternoon. I am certain that you've already gotten started. Uh, what, what will you do? When are you going to Vegas? What will you do in terms of preparing before? What will you still have to do once you get there? And then ideally in a perfect world, what is a what is an NHC day one look like for you?
2: Good questions or several questions rolled into one. Um, I have started looking at things. I can't say that I've done um, a whole bunch. I pretty much, I get, I get out there early. I, I learned, I think the first few times I went, I went out maybe the day of, or I just used the days that I got, you know, the free nights and I found myself waking up at two in the morning. Cause I'm not used to the time change and excitement and you know, it just didn't work. So I, I just, and plus i didn't have time to really get ready so for quite a while now i've gone out on either tuesday or this year i'm going out tomorrow on monday and uh, i try to get away from work uh it still seems to i can't really do it try to by wednesday kind of put things off where i, I don't do any work and then i really kind of treat it like everybody see you know you're going to vegas you know you're going to have a wild and crazy time but i'm kind of boring anyway and i, I literally just, I don't want to say I'll lock myself in the room. I'll go check things out move around. But I work a lot while I'm there uh, trying to get ready, preparing so that I'll have day one done. And when I say done, I mean, you know, handicapped and thought about day one's kind of different because you don't really care. You can go into it with a plan and implement your plan, regardless of what your score is. Day two, I start to, I like to have everything handicapped so that at the end of day one, I'm done. I don't have to go back and look and start handicapping races. I just spend that evening figuring out, you know, okay, I'm in fifth place. Like I was the year that I did well, how am I gonna, uh, change my street, you know, use, use the information I've already done. I've already prepared these races, you know, in a way that works for somebody who's in the top 10 versus most years where I'm okay, I'm pretty darn far out of this. You know, what's my plan going to be now, uh, to try to get back into it. So, I don't do any handicapping on after the first night. Hopefully I've got it all done for the first two days, but before it ever starts. And uh, and I quit playing the last chance cause I, I, it just, I can't do that. I mean, I don't have a software program where I hit a button and you know, the winner pops out. So I spend a lot of time trying to figure them, figure them all out. And I just can't do that for four days. You know, if you do the last chance that makes it a four day event. And, my brain just can't function that well for that many days, so I just kind of chill out the last day, go cheer my friends on a little, kind of fine-tune things, and then, then you know, hopefully I'm in a good spot when the, when the real races start in the NHC. Yeah,
0: the, the last chance I realized when I was a more avid golfer, I, I learned that I needed to just take my 7-iron to the driving range because if I took my driver my whole bag i was inevitably going to waste all of my good good swings at the driving range i've never played the last chance uh maybe i should and it'll get me a little sharper but uh, it's just not something i don't have the bandwidth to handle that so i've seen how you prepare especially for you know our racing here at sam houston when you go on tv and speak extensively about it if that level of preparation is a 10 what would you say your level of preparation for each nhc race is
2: I will do, okay, so for each NHC race, it would be less than a 10, because some of them I'll look at and pretty quickly determine that either it's too small a field, or I don't have a feel for it, and I can skip some of them pretty quick, or it's a track I don't really find myself having success at, so I'll, you know, I won't spend much time on that at all, but if it's a race that interests me, uh, that I think, you know, long shot's possible, and I'll... Or mandatory, I'll spend I mean, you know, a twenty at the NHC on those races. So it just depends on you know which NHC race you're talking about. But yeah, I'll really dig in deep. I'll watch more replays for a mandatory or a uh or a race that really where I think there's a beatable favorite and I and I think I got a chance to maybe make a score. Uh, yeah, you're right. I, I do spend a lot of time with the doing the Sam Houston card, getting ready for that. I've gotta figure out a way to streamline that at some point, but uh, but but even more on the races that I really dig uh, at the NHC, I'll really pour over them for quite a while, which is why I get out there on Monday and really finish up, you know, shortly you know, before it starts. on th- On uh, I'll finish up on Thursday.
0: Yeah, I like it. That makes, uh, makes perfect sense. So as far as the two entries go, will you have any, will you approach them a certain way? Will you have an entry that maybe is a little bit more geared towards shopping for prices? Or are you going to just kind of mix and match. What do you do in
2: terms of having two? Well, I, I think I'm going to use it. And uh, the strategy that I've used this year when playing the Friday contest where I'll have, if I have two entries, I'll do one that is kind of my, I call it my, my NHC, uh, entry, my, my normal, like what I'm looking for long shots, not playing favorites when I can avoid it. And, uh, and then I have a, a second one that's just kind of wacky, right? I see something that could come in, but I really don't think it's likely. Uh, but I, you know, if there's a long shot in there, I just don't want to get by me. Then, especially in those NHC or those uh, horse players contests, because if one comes in out of ten, you, you have to have it. So a little less like that here, but still, you don't want to. You know, if you can catch a, a big cap horse or a nice priced horse. Uh, you know, that really obviously is the goal. So I, I'll probably do one kind of normal and then one kind of wacky and they flip back and forth, if the wacky one, the wacky one may become the normal one. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll slip them back and forth and then my lower score one will be the wacky one.
0: Will you look at all eight NHC tracks and all the races at those, or are there any tracks that you cut loose altogether?
2: I'll, I'll, I won't say it, I don't look at them, but there are some that I just very briefly look like. Like Laurel, I never really seem to do well there. And I used to be horrible at Golden Gate. If it wasn't one of the West Coast tracks, like on the first day, I wouldn't even look at it. Because, um, you know, the fields would be smaller, and I just don't even do well with the smaller fields for whatever reason. But I've gotten better there. Uh, so I really just kind of focus on, you know, I don't play a lot of fairgrounds. I don't play a lot of oak Lawn. So I won't look at those quite as much, but I won't, I mean, I know some people like, you know, they they play their two tracks and I don't know how you can do that at the NHC. There's just too many opportunities in other races. So I'll look at all of them, but I definitely will focus on tracks where I've had more success like Gulfstream, Tampa, Santa Anita and Aqueduct are probably my, the big four. So just to
0: close it out, a little bit of a game theory question for you. The, as all of us know, the average winning price of horses across the country has plummeted. I've, I've just started working on some of these races, but looking through the overnights and acquainting myself with these races, I mean, they are a lot less competitive than we've ever seen before. Could six to one be the new 12 to one in a contest like the NHC? And, and, and do you think there's some benefit? Would you even let it enter into your mind to maybe start taking some horses at slightly shorter prices just because we don't think it's going to require all that it has in the past to win?
2: Yeah, that I, I wish I'd done a little more homework towards the Friday NHC. But what I've looked at so far, I would to, I would I definitely agree with you. There's a I don't know how I've looked at probably I don't know whatever's out so far four or five cards, and I've looked through them generally and and then a few in detail. And there's just not enough big field rate. Right? I mean, there's a lot of seven horse fields, and normally I would. I won't even look at a six horse field because if you catch a place price on a 20 to one, it's just not, you know, it's just not worth it. I generally won't even hardly look at a, uh, a six or less. And, and usually sevens would really kind of be turn my nose at, but I don't think you can do that this year, at least one, what I've seen so far, cause yeah, you might be right at six to one might be the new 12 to one. Cause uh, you know, it's, there's just not a lot there and I could tell you the year I did so well. I felt like that on Friday, the first day, and then I looked at, and Saturday, though, I thought there were prices, so I said, you know, if I can just, you know, I'll take that short price horse on Friday, I just need to get some winners today at, you know, five to one, four to one, whatever, and catch a price in there where I can, but there weren't 18 long shots to shoot for on Friday, and I don't think there will be this Friday based on what I've seen so far, so you just kind of got to adjust to, you know, how how the cards look.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of taking what they give you, so to speak. And so I think those are uh, that's a good good thing to have in mind for everybody that's participating, that's listening. And I think you've given some great insight into how you do it as far as everybody who's listening that won't be playing. So you said you're a boring guy. So dinner time at, during the NHC, you're, you're simple, you're staying in the hotel, no branching out?
3: Well,
2: okay. So my wife recently retired from being a a judge. She's going to come work with me now, or actually I'm going to work for her now. And so uh, she's going to come out with me the whole week. So I think I'm not going to be able to get away with uh hold up in my room quite as much as I, I think. I think I'm going to be going out to dinners and, and whatnot, maybe a show or something. We'll see. Uh, I'll have to report back on how that goes when this is all over. We'll see. It's it's a real
0: shame that you might actually have to be social not only for yourself but for those <laughs> that you're going to be around. So, all Kai kid of course, but uh true. No, to... you know I I'm, <laughs>
2: yeah. I'm I'm a bit of a, my wife makes fun of me. I, when I go to contests just say, "Who'd you sit with?" I'm like, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't really I just sat by myself. I don't you know, I don't need to sit with anybody. They just kind of distract me." So, you know,
0: I, what's funny? I don't about... mind it. And I'm a loudmouth and a cut-up, and I actually kind of like the same thing. But, you know, actually, I'm two for two qualifying sitting next to you. So the next
2: time I go anywhere, you, you better – so. That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. We've done what we've done well together of late.
0: No doubt. We were almost the exact Lone Star. So, hey, let's hope for a, a one-two finish or at least some good representation for the H-Town contingent. Trey, thanks so much for joining me.
2: Hey, all right, man. If you win, I'll be glad to come in
0: second. And likewise. I'd be very, very happy with that. <laughs> Thanks so much to Trey <laughs> Stiles, and we're going to keep on trucking on this NHC podcast. Next up on the NHC podcast, I have a guest who I have just recently met, and am very excited to do so, and I will certainly see in person in a couple of days in Las Vegas. Wendy Long is joining me. Wendy is a 10-time, now 11-time NHC qualifier. Wendy, nice to meet you, and thanks so much for taking the time to talk.
3: Oh, no worries. This is This will be fun.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I was uh, I was talking to Pete Fornital, who I know is our mutual friend, of course. And and he said to me, oh, you know, Wendy, you'll be great to talk to. And uh, of course, I've I've not met you, but again, I'm looking forward to doing so. So tell me a little bit about what got you into the crazy contest world and and what uh, what keeps you uh, endeavoring to get back to the NHC on a yearly basis.
3: Okay, I've I've been a horse player ever since I can remember. I bet my first winner. When I was nine years old, and that was many, many, many years ago, and uh, just been going to the races pretty much all my life. And about twelve years ago, um, discovered that there was this whole contest world that I actually knew nothing about um, until my husband and I saw an ad somewhere for the Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge, and we thought, oh, you know that that would be really fun to try and get into. And uh, we qualified for that, and I ended up finishing fifth in my first Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge, which uh, earned me a spot in the NHC in my first NHC, and uh, it's sort of been going on from there. So, um, been sort of been doing contests for about twelve years now.
0: Okay, yeah, you know, it's kind of funny that we have a we have a bit of a similar background there, in that I qualified for the Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge. For the first time in 2012, I didn't do any good. And then I went back in 2014 and actually bought an entry that year and I finished fourth. So we, we, yeah, we certainly have that in common and I'm a big fan of the uh, of the BCBC. So just looking at, at what you did this year in terms of contests, have you sort of transitioned into more of an online
3: player or do you still dabble in some of the, the live money events as well? Well, I I live up in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada and so it's very hard to get to live tournaments um, so normally i'll only do maybe two or three live tournaments a year um, typically nhc um, breeders cup betting challenge um, uh, try to get to del mar for a live tournament there but it's a long way for uh, us to get to a live tournament you know if you live in you know new york or california or florida it's pretty easy there, there's a lot of live tournaments you can get to pretty easily. But um, for us up here in uh, Vancouver, Canada, it it costs a bit to get on a plane and get to a live tournament. So the bulk of um, my tournament stuff has to be online.
0: And do you, and that makes perfect sense. Do you, um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing you, you're you comfortable and you enjoy the $2
3: win place format and doing so online. Actually, you know what? I I am not really happy with, doing win place Uh, although my favorite uh, bet is actually the pick four but uh, one thing I love about BCBC is you can do tries you can do doubles um, you can do uh, exactor boxes and the the whole bit I I love the the exotics Um, so win play just straight win place I find a little confining but it's what I have to do so I accept it.
0: I I like that, and I completely agree. I'm not a fan of the $2 win-place format, but I understand why it's a necessity for an event like this. But, yeah, I would say of my – I think every year but one, my qualifications came exclusively in in live money – tournaments. So I, i much prefer the betting format. And, you know, I'd like to think that that makes it a little bit more pure. So, you know, each their own, but, uh, but we're firmly in that camp. And I'm certainly always looking for people to join me on that side of the, (laughs) that side of the boat as well. So, um, so I guess, uh, walk us through a little bit of your preparation. We're, we're taping this on Monday morning. Um, are you, have you, have you already started to dig into some of the races? Um, what will, what will take place? before you end up leaving and heading down to las vegas
3: okay typically um what i'm going to do my husband my husband steve has also qualified he's also uh going into his 11th year of qualification so that's great many congrats um, yeah yeah it's good Uh, you know we're um we come by our picks very differently though so um you know he he goes off into left field does his thing i do my thing and then we come together and compare our picks. And uh, but so, what I'm actually going to do the next two days is go back and look uh, because I've been sort of looking mostly at uh, and, and betting mostly um, Gulf Stream, Santa Anita, and Aqueduct. So, I have to go back and look at races over the last couple of weeks from um, uh, fairgrounds, Oaklawn. Uh, Laurel, like some of the other tracks that are going to be offered um, that later this week and just see, you know, are there any biases? Who's hot there? You know, jockeys, trainer, trainer combinations um, to just kind of see if I can pick up any little nuances that might help me when I'm picking those tracks. Cause I haven't been paying a lot of attention to, to those other tracks. So I need to bone up a little bit on those. And then typically Um, Tuesday night uh, we leave Wednesday and what I do is I I print out the past performances um, for the the last chance first chance for Thursday and what we'll do is we won't look at them until we get on the plane and the whole plane ride down two and a half hours is we'll we'll look at those races first uh, for the Thursday last chance and um, and then I don't even look at Fridays, the first day of NHC um, until the last chance is finished. So I don't do a lot of in-depth, like hour after hour um, preparation for Friday. It will be after last chance on Thursday afternoon that I'll start diving into on the, the cards for Friday.
0: I like it. That sounds uh, that sounds very uh, well thought out. So, um, I, you know I'm I'm I always consider myself a student of the game as well, and I'm sure everybody out there does also. So, tell me a little bit about what your work will include. Trying to figure out if there were appreciable track biases or anything like that. Are you gonna are you gonna dig into the charts? Are you gonna watch replays as well? What will all that entail?
3: Okay, but, um, I am going to watch replays. So the I'm going to be. Watching a lot of uh, there'll be a lot of screen time in the next two days, even though it's a beautiful day up here in 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 Vancouver today. But uh, I'm going to be uh, looking at a lot of races in the next 48 hours, and again, just seeing if there's biases. Um, you know, just you, you get a feel after you watch a little bit. You get a feel for a way the way a track is playing, and uh, um, I, I, you know read forms and, you know, I, I pass performances and, and everything, but there is a little bit of an intuitive bent to my handicapping as well. And for that, I need to physically see um, the way races have been running and how jockeys have been riding and that sort of thing. And I, I sort of get a little twig in my head sometimes.
0: I like it. I think that's, that's very well described. And I, I tell people all the time that are asking about getting more involved in handicapping or what piece of advice you could give and I tell them watch races watch races watch races just watch races over and over and over I think no matter what you're trying to do you'll you'll definitely achieve something and you'll you'll learn the more that you do because you're really going to learn how races unfold and and that's you know that's the most important thing to me is I don't I don't necessarily want to see the end result as much as I want to see all the work that went into it
3: uh, Absolutely and you know certain tracks Um, Certain distances and, you know, turf races are are run a little differently, say, at at Gulfstream than they would be at Santa Anita or at Aqueduct. um, So, yeah, every track is different and you have to pick up on the nuances.
0: No question. One thing I've been asking everybody who's going to play two entries and you are as well. How will you divide the two entries? Are you going to have any strategy associated with, you know, maybe only taking horses at a certain price or only looking at certain tracks or races or anything like that?
3: Well, I think uh, one thing, because it's a mix, uh, the NHC is a mix of mandatory races and um, uh, optionals, right? You can pick uh, your for your optionals from the tracks that we can they give us. You can pick any race. And so... When I look at the optionals, I'm not gonna pick uh, three to five favorite for my optional. I'm gonna look for a, a value horse, a long shot, um, uh, because typically sometimes in the mandatory races, uh, you have to pick who you like, and that could be a big favorite, but you know, you've know, got to pick who you, you think is gonna win in those mandatory races that everybody has to play. And so the optionals give you a chance to go far afield and go, you know what? You know, I I think there's going to be a price horse in this race. And so you try and ferret out who the price horse might be in a, a given race at a, a track.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a totally sound approach, and, uh, and I can certainly get along with that as well. So, Will, uh, obviously you go with your husband, so you guys have some time together, which is always nice. This is... You guys treat this as a business trip. Is there any fun associated with it or is it, uh, is it the contest and studying up?
3: Well, it, it it's funny yeah, because I've never actually done really well at the NHC. And early on, uh, the first two or three years that we were playing at the NHC, uh, you know, we were going out to dinner and we were gambling at night and we weren't doing that great. So for a couple of years we hunkered down and we were all business, you know, you know, no gambling, no drinks in the bar after the the day was done. And we actually ended up doing even worse. (laughs) (laughs) So it's so now we're back to, you know, after the day is done, go have a drink, go, go play a little blackjack or roulette or something to decompress. And um, yeah, so it, it's a fun trip. I mean, how, you know, Vegas is fun anyways. Right. And and I I love the NHC because, uh, again, because I have to do so many online tournaments, you get to know some of the names. And it's funny because how often you see that certain people must pick the same way that I pick because very often we're we're battling or we're very close in the standing. So the fun thing about doing NHC is you actually get to meet these people in person which is is such a blast, right? Because they're all kindred spirits. And, um, you know, you instead of just meeting in cyberspace, you can sit and talk and, you know, have a good time with them. So I I just love that.
0: No question. I, I will always uh, say that it is the unofficial horse player convention. And it's great to have everybody in the same place at once. And they and can't say enough about that. Oh,
3: for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, in terms of my preparation, I, I tell people i'm a bit of a kind of a hay oats and water girl in that my preparation consists of a pen a big cup of coffee and a racing form and that's it i don't do a lot of um, i know there's a lot of great products out there and and i do watch the races of course but um, when i sit down to actually pick the horses that's all i have Uh, there's a lot of great products out there but you know what i find sometimes there's too much information and it can throw you off and so like I might pick a horse and then I see oh you know so and so likes that horse and you end up um, losing your confidence a little bit it's like oh maybe I I shouldn't pick this horse and I as a horse player you have to be uber confident in your picks especially if you're, you're going out on a limb with a price horse so I I don't pay any attention really to a lot of the products or to you know what the experts pick until I've actually done my own picks and then I go oh let's see let's see what some of those other guys have picked but I won't change my picks just because um you know somebody else has picked a different horse
0: I like it I think that's a, a great bit of strategy and Wendy I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with me and and impart some of this info on everybody out there listening. I greatly look forward to meeting you in person in a couple of days.
3: I can't wait two more sleeps. Woohoo.
0: That's right exactly. Wendy Long, <laughs> thanks so much. We're going to continue to truck on on this NHC podcast. Up next on the NHC podcast, no stranger to the network, in fact somebody who is responsible for the network, the 2022 Breeders Cup Betting Challenge champion, Drew Cotney and Drew Everybody here has heard you before. I don't. I don't need to go through this long, flowery introduction. I just want to know what the possibility is that your next child has Flightline incorporated into their name somewhere.
4: Oh my gosh, I, I don't know about that one. But uh, na- naming uh, material things after Flightline may be coming into fruition. We uh, have a new house and a new car uh, after all of the fallout of Breeders Cup. So. Uh, maybe that new car's name will be Flightline. Uh, I don't know. That's a great question. I, I
0: have a vehicle that I named Altuve, and uh, that that didn't have specifically to do with 2022. But um, so let's talk about why you're on this podcast and why you're headed to Las Vegas. You won the Breeders' Cup betting challenge back in November. Um, I'm sure you're still riding a high as you should be.
4: Yeah, I am. I actually, just got all of the photographs framed and matted and mounted um it's it couldn't be better i get to look at them sequentially from cody's wish to tuesday to elite power to modern games to the dirty nose of malathon and then flight Wine taking flight so couldn't be any better i continue to relive it especially when i need a little pick me up during the during the week just pop on one of those replays but tremendous tremendous experience in camp. thank everyone who went along for the ride including yourself who had a big part in uh the Malathot conversation as it came down to the wire and it needed to Dutch a wind bet together to, to get into position to put a hundred thousand on flight line. So here we are.
0: Yes that was that was fun to be a part of fun to watch and and uh, I'm sure you're going to watch those replays quite a bit more I actually I do that more often than than some might think especially if you're if you're in a little bit of a slump I think the best thing to do is watch a replay for a race that you just completely obliterated whether you scored for big money or whether you had a good opinion or anything like that it's it's just like it's like grabbing the 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 ball that you just missed the putt with on the putting green and putting again Right. You're reminding yourself like, hey, I actually do know how to do this.
4: Mm -hmm. That's a that's a great analogy. Yeah. Roll it back. Let me let me reread that break that I uh, that I missed right here. Absolutely.
0: So, you know, everybody out there that's listening that qualified and everybody out there who's listening that didn't qualify, but just might be interested in the NHC. You know, we all got there a variety of different ways. You, of course, did so in the Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge, which is a live money tournament talk us through what is your level of experience in $2 win place formats and how daunting is it for you at this point to participate against people that have been doing, this is also your first time playing that have been doing this for years and that, uh, you know, rumor has it, some of them are pretty darn good at it.
4: Yeah. Yeah, they really are. And, and uh, I, I can't, I can't really, because one of the, one of the clubs of my bag is removed in this contest completely. And that's the, the psych ecology of betting lots of money to put yourself in the advantageous positions that the probability therefore should be should be increased if you're betting that that those numbers. So by by that I mean uh, flight line at the final table is not really going to pay anything because it's right it's it's tiny tiny dollars. So to answer your question about how nervous am I or how am I feeling, I think nervous is probably a good answer. But I'm going to parse this down to how I feel comfortable. I do a lot of cash contest simulations um, during my my weekly handicapping when there isn't any big contest to go after. It's a great way just to sharpen the skill set and think, OK, 15 to 20 X. And, and funny enough, um, we were discussing what it was going to take to get the Gotham. I forgot to send this to you, Nick. Forty one hundred was the target we had set as, a, as in our group text that was going to win the Gotham. And I believe you won it with four thousand. There you go. So, so yep. we, we run through these machinations. Um, uh, and so for, for the, for the NHC, I'm going to pick a couple tracks. I'm going to work through the entire card and see where I like it and then see where favorites are vulnerable and just try and find something that has some value in it as well. Um, writing for Woodbine for two or three years, you get kind of used to seeing where value or where bad favorites may lie I think that might be a club back in my bag that I'll have to start pulling out uh, because those values of six or eight to one that in a field that's pretty open, that's not a bad way to go if you can land a couple of those early on.
0: Yeah, I I think that's a good point, Um, especially and and I will say that uh, that a a contest player and I that that had worked together quite a bit back in 2015, we were we were actually at the Horseplayer World Series and we were trying to handicap, you know, eight million races the night before. And what we decided to do was we'd put a minute on the clock on our phones. And in that minute, we had to determine whether that race had a favorite that was worth beating. And then at the end of the minute, we would take 30 seconds and compare notes. And if we didn't think it was a favorite worth beating, we just completely moved on. And I think there's a danger in the approach that is, I can beat the favorite no matter what. Because what's going to happen then is that when the favorite wins, you're going to be so pissed that you not only were wrong about the favorite, but you were likely wrong about whoever you ended up taking. And I think there is a... One thing I would say to a a first-time NHC player or anybody aspiring to get there, there is a gigantic mental component to this whole thing. And, I mean, you can have ice water in your veins, but the first time some numbskull jumps up and starts screaming because they bet a 20-to-1 shot that won a race you are going to, to go through all of the motions mentally. You're going to be like, well, hell, you know, I might as well make sure I eat well because I'm not going to, I'm not here to win anymore. You know, right. and, and you will just, you will, you will do that. You will have to process it. And I think if you can take a learned approach to how you're handling the favorite, it goes a really long way.
4: Yeah. That, that's fascinating. Two, two topics, one of which, how to handle the favorite. And I think I have a good ability to hone in on those at the shorter odd spectrum. But in cash contests, the value of that is then you can double money or leverage your two entries against one another and really accelerate through doubles. But that's a whole other topic. So approaching the favorites, but also the mental side of it, it's kind of a good reminder for that you just gave me, just like cash contests, don't worry about the leaderboard. On day one and day two, It really sh- early day two, it shouldn't be impacting your overall picking. Obviously, if you if I'm at $0 <laughs> on uh, Saturday afternoon, you might want to start stabbing a little bit, but I, I think I, I'm going to get a uh, full blown indoctrination into how to, these things operate. Cause by no means am I a proficient expert and here to have fun, try and catch some winners. And instead of the minute clock, I'm just taking my daily workflow of looking at a card, finding the spots and trying to, to focus on three or four of those uh, tracks each day. and, have my own little mini contest running cash side on the, on the side to keep me entertained. So what will your three or four tracks likely be? I think Tampa, um, Santa Anita, and I haven't figured out the other third one. And I'll I'll run through those first. Uh, I think they'll draw tomorrow evening for Friday at some point. So try not to... every
0: Friday card is out.
4: Oh, is it Great. It is. Yeah. Every
0: every Friday card we're we're taping this Monday morning. Every Friday card's out. We'll get actually two Saturday cards are out as well. We'll get a third Saturday card from Oakland today. Everybody else will draw Wednesday.
4: Gotcha. All right. Well, it was nice talking to you. I'll uh, we'll talk later. And <laughs> <laughs> now you got work to do. Yeah. No. I in in so t- I'm familiar with Tampa. I'm familiar with uh, Santa Anita and some of the bigger circuits. And I think that's the way it'll stick. Um, I believe there's what eight tracks or ten available for us to play eight, from. Yeah, yeah. So, Oaklawn, I've never been really good at, and I just know it. Is, that is a that is a track that requires some conditioning because if you know it well, you know it really, really well.
0: Yeah, you know, it it feels like inevitably the price horses in this event come from some combination of Gulfstream, Oaklawn, and Tampa. So, you know, I I will look at every single race. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to take a deep dive into Golden Gate or Laurel. You know, I'm obviously primarily a New York player. So I I will be looking at Aqueduct because my picks will be available at um, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Quick (laughs) plug. But um, I, you know, I also think there's something to be said for the lack of computer money in the wind pools in New York. And so, you know, Ray's Kane, who won the Gotham, who you mentioned earlier, kind of bringing our our conversation full circle. He paid twenty three to one in all likelihood in the wind, in the exo- in the top end of the exotics. He was more like eight or ten based mm-hmm. on the, the way we saw everything pay. So, you know, I, I would say that if there are some decent sized fields on on Saturday at Aqueduct. Um, there are a couple on Friday. It's worth taking a gander because it's, that's not the worst place to try and find a, you know, just a little bit of value potentially.
4: Yeah. No, in, 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 uh, f- for the Naira circuits, see the feast or famine for myself. I don't know how you feel with it, but man, I got my head bashed in on Saturday there. So uh, you bring a good point. I'll pro- That'll probably be the fourth and Gulfstream will be the third uh, in Tampa. It'll go in order prior to Tampa, Santa Anita, and then those two. Uh, circuits as well, but I, I, I'm I'm excited. How much? Uh, I'm going to ask the uh, interviewer a question. As you walk in on Friday morning, how many of your selections have been made? Good question.
0: Um, I think it's pretty important to have all of your mandatory selections kind of made up. Um, you know, I think what you're I think what you're doing is if you wanted if you wanted to liken this to you know to a coaching a football game, you've got your 10 or 15 plays that you know you're going to run to start the game. And then wow. everything else is situational, right? Mm-hmm. If it's fourth and one, we're doing this. If it's third and six, we're doing this, you know, and you categorize it in that fashion. So I think it's probably safe to say, and, and, and granted, I mean, full disclosure, I'm somebody who's been to eight NHCs and I cashed in one. I haven't even really been on the bubble that many times either, but I've had a hell of a lot of fun. So, you know, I would say if you're not prepared with probably at least 12 to 14 of your 18 selections, you're running a little bit of a risk. And what and the risk that you're running is that you might end up passing opportunities early because you, you think there's going to be a lot more late. And the last thing you want to do is get to a point where you've got three or four optionals and there's six or seven races left because now you're just backfitting the whole thing. And now you're, you're making a case for 20 or 30 to one shots that you would probably otherwise never take.
4: Yeah. That's good advice. That's really good advice. Thanks for answering that.
0: Yeah, so uh, that's the last one I'll answer. But no, I'm kidding. But um, (laughs) this is a role reversal for me anyway. I usually am the interviewed, so it was a lot of fun to have Steve Bick on. Uh, He's the first one actually on the podcast. So, um, but yeah, no, that you know, I I think what you're also going to enjoy about it, you know, being uh, somebody obviously that that has some interest in game theory and and obviously the puzzle of handicapping. Anyway, is that you know there's a ton of of not strategy, but but like a little bit of of Uh, I guess it is a strategic kind of approach for you to sort of find. But, you know, I know that there have been two times in my life that I went to the NHC with a horse that I was going to play on Friday under every circumstance. There was no question in my mind. It was the very first one I went to in 2009. And then it was the one that I cashed in in 2018. And there were horses that I liked specifically. One was at Gulfstream, one was at Fairgrounds, and they both won and those were the two where I probably did best. So I need to hurry up and find somebody on Friday
4: that I really like. <laughs> yeah, me, you and I both, because uh, I haven't even cracked the PPs and they're already out. I'm already behind the eight ball here. But yeah, I'm, I'm just excited and I'm tampering all my expectations because there is a little bit of luck involved in the NHC just with the format of the $2 one place because you're spreading it out over so many races and you can't really leverage your betting opinion now you can you can weight it based on the value of the horse and the probability you think it is on your fair value line. But managing expectations, I'm, I'm here to have fun. I think it's going to be a fantastic horse player reunion. Um, I've been out there for the 2018, 19, uh, and we did Carbone, and we're doing that again this year. Uh, and we're doing Momofuku, which I've never done, and then uh, Mastro's, Oceanside uh, Steak Club. So some, some great restaurants, uh, courtesy of our friend Matt Miller, Uh, hopefully you'll be joining us at one or two of those dinners and we'll be able to say hi and shake hands along the way.
0: That is the plan. Very much looking forward to it, Drew. Thanks so much for taking the time. I know you've got your contingent of loyal listeners here that are pulling for you. Good luck. All right. Thank you. We'll see you out there. Thanks, Drew. And moving right along on the NHC podcast. Up next on the NHC podcast, a guest that I've been really looking forward to speaking to, meeting all of the above, a guy that can say that he is 100% cashing at the NHC in three trips. Our next guest, AJ Benton, has cashed every single time. AJ, we've only got a few minutes, and you're going to have to share all of it. What is the secret to your
5: success in the NHC? Um, I spent probably the last three months going into the event, Preparing for it, like watching replays, just getting totally set up for the event and just scaring myself in game mode for it. That's fascinating.
0: So you, so I guess uh, you know, I guess talk through a little bit of what your horse playing career was like prior to getting into contests. I know PTF did a profile on you in 2020 when you had a lot of success on day one, and I think earned a, a Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge birth with your success on the first day. You got into contests through the Horse Players Show.
5: Yes, um, I was very, very uh, enchanted by it. Uh, I thought it was, is, it was interesting. My wife put me. You know she gave me two options, it was back in 2019, it was uh July 15th, and she goes, You either have you can only hemorrhage money in one way, it's either hockey or horses. And I've played hockey my whole life since I was about six. <laughs> she goes, So you can either take it serious or you can keep running a hockey team. So I said, You know what? I go, I watched the move, I watched the show, um, and I said, let's go with it. And then I got, you know, I got a seat, uh, that year, August 23rd. So about a month later, and then I went on a tear for that whole month. I put up like almost 11,000 points in that one month and uh, I was hooked from there. And I've been just constantly, I've I've probably spent about 3000 hours over the last three years, trying to continue to evolve and just Try and find interesting, you know, nuggets, and trying to improve my game to compete with, you know, the best players in the room. You know,
0: that's fascinating. So, what is your what is your handicapping process like? Are you a are you mainly a digital guy? Or are you an avid note taker? Are you a pen and paper form user? I'm guessing it's probably a little more advanced than
5: that. Um, I do it all. Um, I love you know I love pedigree. I love race replays. Um, you know, there's so much you can see on tape that you know they're not going to put in, you know, the charts, you know, they, they sort of are pretty bland with their charts and you can see horses get hooked six, seven, eight, nine wide into the far turn, or you can see horses that save all the ground. Um, you know, pace for me was, was a big problem. Like I'd always have a hard time judging pace. So I've tried over the last three years to improve, you know, and try and make my best educated guess for pace. Um, I love pedigree. Um, I'm looking for turf horses that have, you know, horses that are trying turf for the first time, trying turf for the second time, trying to look for that, you know, royal pedigree line. I think I have it down to about 20 horses that I can use and swing from to uh, use as sort of benchmarks for me to find these horses that have hidden um, turf ability that, you know, are... Horses in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, these are horses way, way back that probably nobody even remembers, let alone followed. No, that's interesting. So uh, um, is
0: there, so I guess in terms of NHC approach, what did you go into 2020 thinking uh, in terms of of how you were going to, you were going to play? What was your, you know, what was your strategy and, and of course, what, what do you think the single thing that made you so successful has been?
5: Um, I would say probably for for me, my process going in was, is I was going to play horses that I liked. Um, I don't care about odds. I've been playing prices my whole life. So um, I try to find vulnerable favorites and I would always look at a race. So I would go through every single race and say, what are you a victim of? Are you a victim of the pace? Are you, Pace dependent, or do you need? Um, are you the pace, and you can't have really any trouble in your in your run? So I would just look at these horses, and you know, good horses usually put themselves in position to win races. We all know that it's one of the, just one of those things where. You have a horse that's a front runner, right? If he gets hooked up early, he quits. If you get, you know, um, usually horses that get passed that are front runners usually get discouraged and usually plummet to the back of the pack. There's really, really not too many favorites that I've seen that have been able to get past and then come back and run back and win on a horse in the same race. It just doesn't happen. They just get discouraged and they get disinterested and they just fall back into the pack and they they run third, fourth, fifth, last sometimes um then you have horses that are you know they need a lot of pace like um justique she's pace dependent so if they don't go fast for her she don't win so she's an automatic toss um if there's no speed in the race and there's one horse that's going to go to the lead and they get gone they just run away from the field. They walk the dog around the track and nobody really seems to really care, um, which is fine with me. Yeah,
0: no question about it. So I, I think that's a, that's good insight into a little bit of the process. In fact, in a, in a prior segment on this podcast, I was speaking with Drew Coatney who won the breeders cup betting challenge last year. And I told him that one of the things that I've tried to do, and and I will admit I have had significantly less success in the NHC than you have But is to try and identify vulnerable favorites. Because if you are, if you're, if you're continuing on with a race where you have a pretty strong feeling that the favorite looks good, you're going to get doubly annoyed if you end up making a play in there and the favorite wins because you kind of knew the favorite looked good. You wasted a pick if it was an optional pick and you got yourself nowhere. So I think that's a real, that, that to me, that's a real key. Of course, it's a real key in betting in general, but it's a real key in a contest with a format like this, because, you know, in many ways, depending on how we're approaching it, the favorite can actually be our friend.
5: Yeah, it's, you have a horse in every race. So if you don't have the horse, you're hoping it's the favorite. So you literally have a horse in, 180 races or 160 races over two days. So if you don't have, if you're you're not playing the race, you want the favorite to win. And, you know, I I believe that, you know, they're going to win races. They're going to win 25% of them. Now you got a hodgepodge for the other 75%. Obviously you would calculate that, you know, some days more than others, you get higher priced horses. So I would figure probably about, Maybe five to 10% of them will be in the range of, you know, the 12 to one to, you know, 99 to one range. So you're going to have about 10 opportunities, maybe, maybe eight to 10 opportunities each day to try and make scores to get points. And then right. the rest of it's, you know, the the five to two, the seven to two, the nine to two, the three to one, the two to one, the four to one, you know what I mean? Like in that range. So you can do it both ways. You can grind and try and get to a number, or you can try and grab it all in one or two bites. It all depends on how much you can stomach, I guess.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so I wanted to ask you, so actually this, and, and you have finished 16th. 39th, and third in your three appearances at the NHC. This is going to be the first time you have two entries. Are you going to approach things differently with the two entries? Well, talk us through a little bit of the strategy with having two, and if you might apply some hard and fast
5: rules for what you're going to do with your two uh, with your two entries. So I think for me, I think it's going to expand my play a bit more, and I can actually, it all depends on how many races I can actually pick from. So today I'm going to get, all of the you know the cards pretty much except for Santa Anita so I'll at least be able to to do something out of it by Tuesday um, by Tuesday night because I spend nine to twelve hours looking at all these races so when I get there Tuesday I'll probably spend you know the six hour plane ride looking at horses and then when I get into Vegas I'll have another six hour window on Wednesday and then I have a nine to 12 hour window that I'll spend for Saturday. So I already have all of my races picked for Friday and Saturday pretty much based on scratches, you know, cause some races could come into the fray, say they scratch a favorite and that opens the race wide open to, you know, some chaos. Um, you know, I could have 10 races. I could have 15 races. I could have 20 races. I, I could have five races. I don't know. It's just, pretty much whatever the pace setup is in the definition of the, you know, the defining part of the race is what I'm, what I'm looking at. So um, if I have more picks um, I could take more shots at some riskier horses that I wouldn't on a normal year. Um, obviously for me, I'm going to play what I love and try and put myself in position. You know, if I'm within $50 of that lead, I would get nervous. <laughs> I like it. That's that's a great way to put it. There are always in
0: these contests certain people, depending on the format, that I play primarily live money contests and I find myself, if I'm ever looking at the leaderboard, I'm really not even concerned who's at the top. I'm looking for certain guys and to see if they have money. And if they have money, then it's a totally different format to me than it was before because they're dangerous with just a chip and a chair. So um, you know, I guess would you say that you're In terms of odds, I know there's so much in this contest put into. Well, I won't take a horse under a certain price, or I won't, you know, do this. I won't do that. What are your hard and fast rules,
5: odds wise, if any? Um, My hard and fast rules are this: Um, sometimes you're going to have to take what you love, because if you don't, you're just going to be, you know, I think that makes sense. Disappointed at the end if those horses win, no matter. Well, I won't play short odd horses. It just won't be a play for me. Obviously in mandatories, I haven't had any success in that in the last three years. I think I've put up $26, $38 and $43 in in the mandatory races over the three years. So in 2020, I put up 43 bucks in 2021. I put up 38 and in last year I put up $26. So my life lives between optional races. So, you know, and I like to play, you know, from that nine to two line to the end of the spectrum. I'll play a hundred to one shot. I don't care. Um, it doesn't bother me in the least bit. Um, as long as I can make a case for you, if there's a reasoning behind it, and I always have reasoning behind everything. Um, if I can make a case for you, I'll play you. If I can't, and there's no reason for me to play you. If you don't look good on the track, I won't play you. If your odds are too short, I won't play you. Um, if you're acting a fool, I probably won't play you. There's, I, You you have to look good and feel good for me to play you. Um, and that's my my hard and fast rule for that. And, you know, I know the benchmarks that you need to get to the final day. I play this enough now to know that, you know, you have to get, you know, that, that sweet spot of 70 to a hundred bucks a day. Everybody I think in the room knows that. And the people that don't, um, that's pretty much where you want to be. If you can get between 70 and a hundred bucks each day, you're going to be close to making the cut line and, and moving on to the final day where they chop up the real money. So I know in your first
0: day of your first appearance in twenty twenty, you hit two cap horses. Do you know off the top of your head how many cap horses you've hit in your three years at the NHc? Um,
5: I've hit well, they're near cap, so I would probably say about fifteen of them. Wow, um, you know near cap. You know what I mean? Like I had a, I had a sixty one dollar horse on Sunday last year. I had a, a fifty eight and a fifty five. Um, I had a, you know, I think two fifties, um, I had a 40, a cap and a cap, I think the first year, yeah, it's between 10 and 15. I can't remember all, all of it, but, um, yeah, it's somewhere around there. Um, I just, I don't know what gets you more excited than playing, playing a little bit of a. 10 to one shot, 20 to one shot, 30 to one shot, and having them win, you know. In in this contest, very little is the answer to that. But,
0: and so does this, does that fit with your regular horse player? you a guy that's, that's just, you know, looking at as many races as possible, trying to find value, trying to find bigger priced horses that you can base some of your wagering on?
5: Yeah. Like, like I tell my buddy in California all the time, I go, you know. I go, I'll single a 30-to-1 a shot and a pick-five or a pick-four because if I'm right, it shortens White my team everybody in. out. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, like I love that uh, that horse on um, Saturday at Gulfstream that won it 45-to-1 it won easily, uh, Darth Vader, um, and she was – she was just set up for the race and I just laughed and I'm like, I'm like, man, I wish this was this week, but you know, week
3: later,
0: you needed, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That would have been, the ballroom would have been very, very loud down the stretch of that race. There's, there is no question about it. So be given all the time that you put in prior, is there time for any fun in Las Vegas once you get there?
5: Um, Sadly, no. Hey, Even we've enough. gotten,
0: We've gotten a mixed bag of answers on that so far. There's not everybody is willing to even go out of their room.
5: Yeah, pretty much. That's the story of my life. Like I, I'm supposed to have a drink with like, you know, a drink with uh, three different people and that's pretty much it. And that's going to sum it up. Like my dad's there this year. He's, he's gone there three times now and he's only been playing three years. So I'm really, really, you know, happy for him and really, really impressed how hard he's worked to, continue to get there. You know what I mean? For being such a new player. No, that's great. I'm somebody who was brought
0: to the races the first time by my dad. So I, I always, uh, I'm very heartened by seeing a father and son of any, any age at the racetrack together. So that's great. I'm sure that'll make it a, even more special.
5: Yeah. He, he just, you know, he, he loves the game and he just, you know, he never understood it. He thought it was more of like, uh, a novelty item. Like you'd go there, you'd bring your $20 and you enjoy it. And uh, for me, I can't do that. I just don't, I want to get paid <laughs> from going there. Um, and I'm sure you feel the same way, Nick, right?
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, my, my dad uh, was an action junkie, right? So he played as many races as possible. And, and I think when he realized that I was a lot more serious about my horseplay than he was. He would tell me, you know, I was a lot like you back in the 70s. You know, I would really sit down and, you know, because I would primarily just bet one track or I would, you know, sit there with him sometimes and only make one bet the whole day or anything like that. And so I just, you know, I approached it totally differently from him and and I know he respected it and, and he definitely understood the difference, but um, the contest element to it as well, you know, we're all competitive. We're all, we all think we know, at all right and so this is the the opportunity to really prove it and and i will say that you know few can boast the kind of success that you've had in three appearances and and i'm going to be i'm going to be looking for your name up there and i'm going to go around and tell everybody in the room what your quote was on this podcast if you're within fifty dollars on sunday
5: oh well yeah i have my wife told me i should be a little bit more uh have a little bit more you know she 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 has uh, says I struggle with like uh, imposter syndrome because I don't believe it, and she would like to, yeah, she, she would like to see a little bit of uh, ego out of me and and you know I don't really look at it as, as, as ego. Um, all these people are great great players. I'm privileged to even be in that room, um, and I wish all of them the best. And you know obviously I'm up against the variance and everything else with it being my, my fourth attempt at it. So I'm just going to play it how I see it. Hopefully I'm in there with a the shot and I'm not going to think anything less of it. You know, I, this is a dream. This has been a dream for me. Like these last three years have been absolutely incredible. Um, I had this phrase on my hat the first time I went and it was, you know, dreams do come true if you want them bad enough. And, and I've worked so hard and and I've wanted to, you know, do really good in this event. And it's the only event that I circle on my calendar every year that I want to, you know, show people that, you know, I know how to play horses. Um, And I'm just going to, you know, keep on dreaming that dream. And hopefully the dream never stops. I doubt it will if
0: you keep on with the level of preparation you're putting in and the success you've had. AJ, this has been great. I can guarantee you one thing. I'm absolutely going to have you back on to handicap some races in the very near future. Best of
5: luck and thank you so much for joining me. Ah, oh, thank you very very much and and I really really appreciate you putting me on. You know, what I mean, you had so many players you could choose from. Um, you know, I'm always very very gracious. You know, you have all these champions that you could have grabbed and I'm just obviously privileged to have the opportunity to talk to you.
0: Hey, I have two former champions on here and uh, some Hall of Famers, but few have had, and I don't think any of them can boast the success that you've had in such a short period of time. So great work. Look forward to seeing you soon.
5: All right. Have a great one. Thank you.
0: Next up on the NHC podcast, I'm joined by one of the youngest competitors, a no tour, no NHC rookie by any means. Might be the first time he's actually playing, but definitely not the first time he's going. Carson Matisse, how are you doing, my friend?
6: good it's uh it's wonderful to be here thanks for having me
0: absolutely pleasure is all mine so of course uh people will know in hearing the last name you are uh tell everybody you are duke's son and paul's nephew right
6: yes yep i'm duke's son been uh essentially learning horse racing from from those two my my entire life and started when i was extremely young yep
0: were you interested from pretty much from the start? I mean, I'm somebody whose father brought him to the track when I was six years old, and I was completely fascinated by it, so I do believe you can get hooked that early
6: oh yeah we um we go to Saratoga every summer, and so ever since I was probably born i don't I probably remember it after I was like five or six, but every single year we were there in the backyard hanging out watching horse racing and having a good time
0: yeah I've been. I, I was always sort of fascinated by. I would walk by and see the purple everywhere in Saratoga, and um, in the first couple of years, actually, I was I was always with Andy Serling, and so he would stop by because he'd want to talk to Paul and or your dad. I think your dad and him were getting along better back then, but that's a different <laughs> that's a different issue altogether. But oh, yeah. um, and and the funny thing was that you know, and and in in the in the very. In the very small chance your dad ends up listening to this, but I will tell him this in person. Andy doesn't respect really anybody's opinion, but Andy really respects your dad and your uncle's opinion. So we would walk by and we talk, and I realized like, wow, okay, these guys are these guys are super sharp. And then getting to know both of them a little bit more, I realized that you know there are a lot of people out there playing chess, playing checkers proverbially, and they're they're playing chess. So I mean, was it important for your dad to get you? to understand that if you were really going to, you know, learn about it, he wanted you to kind of learn about it the right way. I guess if that makes sense, like to really immerse yourself in what it takes to, to understand racing.
6: Yes, definitely. Um, as I was younger, it wasn't as important, you know, it was more so have, you know, have fun, pick your horses and whatnot. But as I got older, I think around like 16 or 17, uh, he really started to teach me more of like you were saying, the the chess of, of uh of handicapping instead of the the checkers. Um and and it got a lot more important, especially since I was starting to play in, you know, small contests and stuff like that. Um so and a big part of it, the or the hardest part is structuring the wagering, which everybody obviously always has issues with. Um but that is that is the one thing that they seem to do really well with and that and that's kind of the main thing that he he was teaching me
0: and that's pivotal of course so what what is your handicapping process like are you uh, are you a pretty avid replay watcher i know that one of the things that has made um pretty much everybody in your family so successful is that the your last name is synonymous with the ability to watch and break down a race like you you they're all so so good at that and i've always considered that to be the most important thing about handicapping
6: yes yeah replays are huge Luckily for me, I do have my dad and uncle who watch far more races than I do. Uh, And we have our own, uh, or they have their own database that they put their information in. And so I can get comments from them on on different stuff as well. But even with that, I still watch my own replays and break down my own races, especially if I like a horse on paper. I'll pull up their last race or the race before that they might have trouble in and see actually how much trouble they were in. Um, And obviously bet backs too as I'm just watching the race, I'll put a horse in and, and uh and know to bet them next time. Yeah, I think it's important, of course, to
0: to keep your own log of it and, you know, learn about it yourself while also trusting the opinion of people who really are, are very, very good at it as well. So tell us a little bit about how you got to the NHC. You qualified at Los Alamitos last September?
6: Yes. Yep. So I played at Los Sal. We um I actually didn't play in too many tournaments before that. Uh, I think I played in like two or three and didn't do very well. Uh, and then we went to Los Al. We, my dad were actually not close at all. We were, (laughs) we were in completely different spots. I had money early and then I just lost slowly and slowly and slowly. And then he did the opposite. He was losing early, caught back up towards the middle. And we both had, I would say like right around like, $500 going into the last few races. And we ended up in the last race with a $50 double. We were at $0 after that. And so we had 500 going in the last few races. We lost the third to last race, lost the second to last race. All we had was that double left. And I had, I can't remember how many cents, I think it was like 13 cents or or 16 cents more than him. But we both had a $50 double going to the same horse in the last and end up hitting. So we ended up with, uh, with one and two, and I beat him by just a few cents. <laughs> that's
0: amazing. That's, that's great. How much in a situation like that did you guys compare notes on, you know, did who do you like, who do you like, what are you betting, stuff like that?
6: Um, we, we don't talk too much about who we're betting or how we're betting. Um, which is interesting about that one. Cause usually we'll be like, yeah, we like this horse or, you know, a reason that we would like this horse, but we won't tell each other what we're playing per se. And that last double, we actually played two completely different doubles and just happened to have both of those horses on the double. I played a narrow double, a two by one and singled that horse in the last. And he played a double with a little bit more of a spread and, I think he had two by three in the last and we ended up having the both, both those horses that, that ended up winning. Um, so we do, you know, communicate a little bit and like you were saying about, um, watching replays and races and whatnot, we'll compare that and say this horse had trouble and and, and and go from there. Um, but it was interesting in that last race that we didn't, we didn't communicate at all and ended up with the exact same bet with the exact same dollar amount, both a $50 double.
0: That is. That's it. Just goes to show you that you know, in a, in a live money contest, you can approach things a variety of different ways in order to accumulate your bankroll. So, do you uh, up to this point? I mean, you've primarily played in in live money contests. Is that your preference versus a two
6: dollar win place format? I would say yes. I I like live money because I do that every day when I'm wagering. So it's it's a lot more comfortable for me. The um, but I don't mind the win place contest either. I would just prefer the live money uh, over the win plays.
0: So this time of year, which tracks are you focusing on, and um, and and how many of the eight that we're going to be playing are you going to have to kind of take a look at? I mean, I think all of us are going to be looking at, at, not all of us, but the majority of us are going to be looking at Golden Gate and Laurel for the first time in a while, if not, you know, the first time
6: since the last NHC, right? Um. Yeah, I mean, those are definitely two big tracks, like the main tracks, Golden Gate and Laurel. Um, I've been playing, you know, New York tracks. I've been playing a lot lately, so Aqueduct. Um, Gulfstream will also be pretty prevalent as well. So the other thing is I'm not a huge better... My dad and Paul bet all the tracks every day. I don't necessarily do that i usually came down to like one or two tracks when i'm playing and just focus on those so that's going to be kind of what i'm going to have to do when i'm preparing and and handicapping is is handicapping multiple tracks and remembering all these different horses and different tracks that i've handicapped um so that'll kind of be my downfall i suppose but i should be able to to bounce (laughs) back and get used to it
0: don't plan on it being your downfall ahead of
7: time, right? Only potentially your downfall, but yeah, I mean,
0: everybody, everybody hits that wall. I remember the first NHC I played in; I, it was two thousand nine. I was I was actually right around your age. I was 24, 25. and I went alone. Um, my dad was like, "Do you want me to go?" You know, and I said, "No, let me. Just, I'll just go." And you know, I'm going to be mainly working and and stuff like that. And I had a really good first day. And I was laying in bed looking at the races for the next day. And I thought to myself, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. Like, this is, I can't look at all these races. I've looked at them, you know, I've looked at them again. I've, I've got all this paper in front of me. Like, I am, I am so out of my league. And, and guess what? I performed the next day like I was out of my league. So I think it's important to remember that everybody's up against it in a way in terms of preparation. There's really no, you know, there's really no way that you can, you can be fully ready. And really, you know, Carson, you're the sixth interview I've done and I've I've asked everybody how they're going to prepare so I'm going to ask you that in just a second but I mean I've I've talked to people that have said they don't even look at Friday's races until Thursday I've talked to people that said that they're completely done by the time they arrive in Vegas on Wednesday or Thursday so I guess it's just wow. it's a mixed bag what are what are what are you going to do at least at this point in terms of planning and preparing
6: I am I like to stay the exact same that I do with my everyday betting which I don't usually prepare ahead of time I'm usually a day of handicapper cuz a lot of the times if I handicap uh you know a day or two ahead of time I'll end up liking a completely different horse the day of <laughs> than I did uh 2 days before um after handicapping the exact same race. So with this I will probably have to prepare a little bit earlier. So the night before I'll not necessarily handicap the full race, but I'll go through every race, look at each horse, make a few notes here and there. And then the day of I'll actually dive in. I'll look at the pace of the race, see which horses are going to be up front, which horses are going to be behind um, and things like that. And, and try to pick out how the race is going to go uh, and, and truly handicap the race day of instead of doing it beforehand. Are you going to cut some of those tracks that you're not as familiar with
0: loose or do you plan on looking at every single race?
6: I'm going to say now that I'm planning on looking at every single race, the main reason why is because this tournament is you're going to have to find the bombs somewhere um, if you're going to be up there. So being able to look at each race and I mean, after looking at a race, you can most likely tell this horse has a chance for bomb winning or uh, has a good chance of of a price horse or this race doesn't. uh, And you can, throw races out from there. So that's kind of my plan is I'm going to try and handicap every single race, pick and choose which races I believe are going to have a better chance of a price winning. And then, and then go from there and, and, and choose those races. Yeah. Well, there is a
0: buffet waiting for us of six horse fields at golden gate that we can sift through trying to find the, an opportunity here and there. I, I, I will, I, have never had any success at golden gate. So I don't know how much time I'll spend on it, but like you, I will look, I I will not, I will not take out of the equation that I could find something even being as creative as possible. I think you sort of owe it to yourself to do that, but um, anything else you want to add in? I know you're a, you're, you're a West coast kid, at least as much as you can be. Um, So you're familiar with Vegas. You guys are still going to, going to try and have some fun, right?
6: yes we're gonna try to have some fun but not too much fun uh right before the contest hopefully we won't be out till to all hours of the night
0: (laughs) you'll have to drag marvin along with you
6: yes marvin marvin will be there
0: (laughs) marvin will be present and accounted for i ran into a guy at that i that i know at sam houston on saturday and he said uh, he said yeah i'm playing the first chance last chance with marvin he's uh he's going to play and, and I'm going to put up the money. And he says, do you know, Marvin? I, I said, Chris, everybody knows Marvin. <laughs> yep. If you're alive and you've been to the NHC, you know, Marvin, no doubt about it. Carson, thanks so much. Best of luck. Congratulations on getting there the first time. I think the smart money is on this not being the last time you qualify.
6: Yeah. Thank you very much. I uh, appreciate being here. Thanks for, thanks for chatting with me. For
0: sure. I'll see you soon. Safe travels. And we're going to keep on rolling on this NHC podcast. Next up on the NHC podcast, we're getting into the champions. We've danced around it as much as possible. The first of the two champions, past champions, that we're going to interview is up next. Justin Mastari, who won back in 2021. You, of course, won the COVID uh, the COVID NHC. Yep. As we
7: I, yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Great to have you, and again, congratulations. Uh, you also informed me; I, I neglected to remember that having qualified once at
7: Hawthorne this year, you were eligible for a million-dollar bonus. Yeah, yeah. So this is, I think, I was qualified for a million-dollar bonus the year before I won. Um, so this is the second time going for a million-dollar bonus. So it'll be interesting as to how I play that that specific entry.
0: So right, and is that that's because you won one of the Hawthorne contests Thanksgiving weekend?
7: Yeah, the Friday Thanksgiving contest. Um, I won that contest, so I was eligible for the million dollar bonus.
0: How did you win it? What did you? Because uh, Hawthorne is a is a total free for all. I've never played. I've always wanted to to go up there. Being that I'm a I'm a you know a live money contest player by preference. What did you do? How did you do? How did you win it?
7: Um. So normally, I think it was a three hundred dollar buy in for that Friday. And you really never know what that number can be. It could be someone could hit a pick six for 15000 and you're going to have to try to beat that. But I think there was a race like halfway through the card of Gulfstream, which is the morning over here. And I hit a trifecta, a $50 try. I think I was like one by two by two and a $50 try that was 200 or $300 bankroll. And I think I cashed for like 40 some hundred bucks and went straight to the lead. and nobody passed me after that.
0: That's great. Nothing like getting the lead that early and holding on. It's It's sort of a lonely feeling a couple of times, but, and of course your greatest contest success came in a race where you weren't in the lead at all until the right time, right? Did you, you never had the lead in the, in the NHC until you, you got there in
7: the last race, right? No, you know what? See, that's, that's part of what I don't think people fully remember. So after day one, I believe I was in 14th place which that's a very good position after day one, but that doesn't even mean you're anywhere near making it to the top 10%. But about halfway through the day Saturday, that's when I started picking up. And I think I hit about six, six races in a row. And at the end of Saturday, I was in the lead after Saturday. And then Sunday morning, the first 10 optional races, I was still in the lead. I was in the lead going into the final table
0: okay so you so jose went in front of
7: you late and then you got him in the last race yeah i think he went ahead of me in the first race in the final table i think he had a place horse and me and him were very close basically from the end of saturday all the way to the final table me and him had a pretty good lead like i want to say a 30 or 40 dollar lead on the guy who was in third um but yeah i think he had a place horse in the first race of the of the final table and that's what passed me and kind of fell from there a couple spots.
0: Well, it was the r- right time to do it. Of course, winning it on a on the last race was it the last race at Del Mar or one of the one of the last races of of the day at yeah. Del Mar. How many times have you watched that replay? A lot. (laughs) I would say at least 40 or 50 times. (laughs) (laughs) I I was, I was joking about this earlier with Drew Coatney, who, uh, who I had on who's playing in his first NHC. He of course won the breeders cup betting challenge last year. And I said, you know, I will find myself pretty frequently if I'm, you know, if I'm in a slump or things aren't going right, or, you know, you've had some tough beats or you've just had bad opinions. I'll go watch races that, that I cashed on. And it's just a reminder that, Hey, you actually do know what you're doing.
7: At least, at least he gets to watch, Potentially, one of the greatest horses ever win the Breeders' Cup. I get to watch an optional claiming forty. <laughs> as far as you're concerned, that horse is your flight line, though. Yes, one hundred percent.
0: That is that is the absolute truth. So, um, so tell me a little bit about your horse playing background. I know most of the people listening know that your dad is an avid
7: contest player. Was this something you were into pretty much from the start? Um, I wouldn't say contest playing. When I was younger, it was always going to the track betting $2 the place, $2, $1 exactas, that kind of stuff. And really, I probably played $1 exactas probably up until I was 22, 23. I never really wanted to bet a ton of money. And I was always sitting in the contest room with my dad, Garrett Skiba, Mike Mulvahill, all some big time players, watching them do it and thinking, how the hell am I going to bet a $2,000 straight exacto when I can't, I'm barely betting $1 exactas. but that's, that's kind of what allowed me to learn and, and be able to see what you need to do to succeed. And obviously a little bit different format with the NHC, but um, yeah, say that's, I basically never play any NHC format, $2 win place. I'll play maybe, maybe 20 contests on horse tourneys to try to get, a breeders cup entry or one of those things, but I'm basically strictly strictly live money, Hawthorne cheaper contest. I mean, I don't even really love to buy into Breeders' Cup, even though I did this year. But um, yeah, say I'm I would say strictly strictly live money contest. But yeah, say everything basically everything that I learned was either from that group of people or or just talking to my dad in the mornings and talking about how we think races are gonna set up and that type of stuff.
0: Yeah, I learned pretty much when I more actively played in contests. I want to say around 2015 that the two contingents that were full of the sharpest horse players were the Canadians and 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 the Chicagoland group. Yeah, they're they're just full of sharp horse players. And you know, you mentioned a number of them: your dad and Garrett and everybody else. A lot of the people that I met that I was just really taken by. And you know, I, I I'd like to think that if I grew up in a place like Chicago, where you could go to Arlington Park and meet some of those those kind of people that I feel the same way. I know I have my little group in Houston. That's that's solid enough. But no, it had to be great to be around that many people. I know that I asked a million questions when I was growing up, I used to annoy the hell out of everybody at any racetrack that we went to consistently enough,
7: because I just wanted to learn anything that that they knew. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's a big part of this game as well as willing to learn and wanting to learn, changing kind of your opinion on how to bet and that type of stuff. And that's why I was I mean, for to never really bet more than one dollar exact is until I get into these contests and kind of tell myself, hey, when you're in these spots, you have to play the way the best guys play. And that's the only way you're going to be successful. So understanding that and and willing to learn that that you that you need to do that to be successful. And I think that's a new part of the game that some people need to to learn to not only become more fans of the game, but to bring more people and younger people into this game. I think the learning aspect is something that I think would be nice to, to get some of the younger crowd involved in.
0: Yeah, I think there's a huge opportunity there regarding you no know, game of skill type of, of conversations. But, you know, I think what you alluded to in terms of live money contests and not that this is really the focus of our conversation. But, you know, I think once you come to the conclusion that if you're not willing to risk your entire bankroll at any point during a live money contest, you basically don't have a chance. And I don't mean just the last race. You have to be willing to put all of it in at some point um, because you're going to you're going to need to in order to win.
7: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I had a a circumstance at the Breeders' Cup this year, which I haven't been in that situation. Live money at that kind of money, I hit a, um, I had Caravel, who was thirty something to one in a double to Cody's Wish, and I cashed for forty seven thousand in that off that double. And going into the last race, I think I was in second or third in the Breeders' Cup, and I really wasn't willing to. Wager forty-seven thousand or whatever the the amount that I had on there, and it potentially could have screwed up the outcome of what happened. I I needed Taba to run second. I would have had a thousand dollar try there. Which, hearing what other people would have had, I definitely wouldn't have won the contest. But it definitely changed my sixty thousand dollar weekend, which is still awesome. But it would have been at least one hundred and fifty thousand dollar weekend if he runs second. So. It's 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 a weird circumstance to come to when when you have that bankroll and you're already having a great weekend as it is. And are you willing to wager at all? Yeah. So I I believe I was in second or third going into the last race with about forty seven thousand, and I don't think I was willing to wager at all. I didn't wager at all. I think I wagered eight or nine thousand in the last race. I played thousand dollar. Uh, tries and basically needed Taba to run second um, and he ran third there. So I, I, it could have been a different outcome if I decided that I was going to wager all the money. I mean, I, maybe I would have spread a little more. I'm not going to say that I would or wouldn't have, but I mean, it still ended up being a good weekend. I think I ended up finishing 13th there and had a $60,000 weekend, but you have to be willing to, to wager it all. And I still don't know even – Knowing what I did wrong there, I don't know if I still would be willing to to wager forty seven thousand in the last race. But you st- you definitely have to be be willing to do those type of things at some point in the contest if if you want to be the winner of the contest for sure.
0: Yeah, I you know I I think and and that's a tough spot to be in right because I mean forty seven thousand dollars is a lot of money and the and the prize money in the BCBC is is strong you know, it's, it's good really from one to 10. So one to five specifically, it's, it's going to be really, really good. And, and so, yeah, I still sort of marvel at at Drew's willingness to, to risk that much money, um, especially on a horse that, you know, most people just wouldn't have made big gigantic win bets on in a contest format, but he did. And it certainly got him to glory that he uh, probably only dreamt of coming into that day. So we've been talking a lot about live money contests. What did you do in terms of approach or preparation in your prior NHC experiences and then specifically in 2021 in order to get you into the right frame of mind for a $2 win place contest, you know, did you feel like you had to change anything up or change up any kind of outlook?
7: Um, I wouldn't say I changed a lot of my opinions. I think a lot of my, my handicapping, even in live money contests, kind of revolves around trying to find, um, prices and trying to find areas where, Let's say the public doesn't see those type of horses or the, the, the odds just are too good to not play. And that's the type of stuff that you're going to need in the NHC, which I think you still need five, six, seven to one shots at the NHC, maybe even lower at times. Um, but I don't think it changed much. I think a huge advantage that I had was, I think, playing to have two entries and two qualifications is a huge advantage in the NHC. Obviously it's not even easy to get one entry, but um, I had two entries that year and you're able to play multiple prices in races that you think the favorite's vulnerable in. And when you're playing 20 to one shots, you really only need one or two of them a day and all of a sudden you're in contention. So I think that's a huge advantage. And last year I only had one entry um but this year I have two entries again so I'm really looking forward to kind of changing my strategy back to the to the double entry um and seeing where that takes me
0: so will you have any hard and fast rules with your two entries you know will you like primarily only take long shots on one of them or you know will there be any kind of of approach of that sort
7: um yeah so you, the year that I did win with two entries I wanted to tell myself yeah I'm going to play different horses on each entry pretty much every time. And I fell into spots where I liked 14 to one shots multiple times and played them on both entries. And it worked out in some case, in some case, maybe the other horse that I would have played would have won, but I still can't get by the fact that if I like a horse at 14 to one to not play them on both entries, especially if the other option at a decent price is a horse that I don't really has a chance. I, I find it hard to do that sometimes to play horses just because the odds say that hey in the NHC you should be playing some bigger prices that if I don't think the horse has a chance to win, I'm not gonna play them and the year that I won on that Saturday, I had one optional race left and it was the last race at Del Mar Saturday and I was in second for the day one, or the day two leader. And they give you, or the day two, whoever comes up with the most on day two. So I was in second for that. And they give a Breeders' Cup away. It's a $10,000 entry. And I think I needed, I think I needed a four to one shot to, to get that $10,000. I would have been leading the contest and I would have been leading for that day. And I legitimately didn't think a horse above three to one could win. There was two horses I thought had a chance to win And one of them I thought maybe was going wire to wire at three to one. That wasn't going to get me a Breeders' Cup, but I thought that, hey, down the road tomorrow, this could be a big advantage if I have four or five dollars. You never know. And I played the three to one shot. The horse went wire to wire, and I took the lead in the NHC.
0: It's so funny. I, I tell people this and they sort of scoff at me. The only time I've taken a horse at less than two to one in the NHC is the year that I cashed. And yeah. it just so happened that I needed a winner on Friday because I needed to show myself that I did have a clue what I was doing. And I, I took a horse at nine to five at fairgrounds and I thought it was a complete cinch. And you know what, that eight bucks, it made a difference in terms of getting into the, to the yeah. final, uh, final day. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's important to just have a really healthy balance. You know, I, I, I I've spoken to people that say, yeah, you know, I'll only go, you know, 15 to one plus on that entry and stuff like that. And I think that's a good and a totally sound approach. I've employed it, in fact, with no success so far. And I probably will take one of my entries and, and really just sort of bomb shop the whole time. But I think it's, you know, it's important to recognize that even if you do that for a while on Friday and maybe half the day on Saturday, you have to kind of recalibrate your thinking a little bit at some point to get yourself
7: into position to keep playing. Yeah, definitely. You need to. You're gonna have to play some five or six to one shots, I and mean, some people may have different opinions on that. That you play the fourteen to twenty five to one shots every single race and take your chances on a couple places, and you only need two or three of the winners in the whole weekend. But I, I still can't get myself to bet horses that I don't think have a chance to win, and that's, it's, it's probably not going to change. But say we'll see what happens. I think there's, I think you have a good chance of playing a lot more logical things with a couple prices here and there and maybe even getting both entries into the top 10% and then really having some fun on that Sunday. So um, that's, that's the goal this year is to get in the top 10% and say, if you try to go for the win early, I think that's where people make the mistake and, and really don't have the opportunities. But if you get in that top 10%, it's, it's a lot closer than people think from whatever 70th place to top 10
0: no question about it. I think that's a great point and and really some great insight. Well, we've seen that you are, uh, so you are, are your preparations underway at this point? It's, it's roughly Monday around one o'clock central time for everybody who's listening to this uh, subsequently.
7: Yeah. Um, I will start to print out all the information that I need. Um, I'm not too big on caring what the mandatory races are. When those come, everyone has to handicap them anyways. So I won't be doing too much research on those right away, but I think my biggest advantage is the optional races. The year that I won, I think I was, I think I had one place horse out of all the optional or out of the, all the the mandatory races. And I think I was seven for 10 in the optional races, which is obviously that's, that's the way to go. I think you got to make sure you're picking and choosing the races that are going to give you opportunities and now you're taking away those opportunities for other people because not everyone in that room is playing the same optional race as you are.
0: That's a great point. And a really, really important thing to remember I was talking before with AJ Benton, who said the same thing. He's, he's really done well with optional plays. And I think that's where you can, you obviously can make the biggest impact because you might be moving up the leaderboard yourself. Last question. I'm going to ask you, what was the most flippant and or reckless thing that you bought with the money that you won at the NHC?
7: Um. I don't think there was really anything crazy. I bought a house recently. Well, that's um, that's that's very practical. Yeah, I bought a house 7 months ago and I recently got engaged as well.
0: Well, many congratulations! I will not joke about your your future wife being the most reckless thing that you did. I'm a happily married man, so uh, my wife will probably end up listening to this at some point. And you know what? Even if she did, she'd only go to the two minutes where I made that comment. So <laughs> you, will, you, know, you will learn that moving forward, my friend. It's been great chatting with you. I look forward to seeing you and your dad and meeting your brother at uh, in Las Vegas soon.
7: Nice talking to you. I can't wait to see you as well.
0: All right, thanks a lot, Justin. We're going to keep this rolling now. Up next on the In The Money Media NHC podcast, we have another champion. In fact, the most recent champion in this segment of the show has had the two most recent champions. I am talking about 2022 NHC champion and Eclipse Award winner, David Harrison, who joins me. David, it's never going to get old hearing you uh, your name introduced that way, I'm guessing.
8: Oh, absolutely not. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, it's just... The whole past year has been surreal for me, to be honest with you, Nick. It's just uh it's just an incredible year. <laughs> it's I'll never it's a year I'll never forget.
0: I I, I certainly don't blame you. And uh and, and I can imagine, you know, talk to us a little bit about you were not you were not a particularly uh seasoned contest player really coming into the last few years, but I mean you've certainly found a way to get pretty good at it.
8: Yeah, actually, I I, I, know, I might disagree with that uh, classification, to be honest with you. <laughs> I wouldn't say season, maybe unsuccessful. It would be more of the, the categorization of myself. I started actually playing um, some of the tournaments on Long Island uh, at the Suffolk County OTB years ago, uh, where the prize package included a seat to the Horseplayer World Series. But I was always on the cusp, you know, I never played regularly, but I always liked the on-site tourneys, so I was always concentrating on that. And I think I got serious about the NHC probably in 2011, 2012-ish, where I started really focusing on especially playing the Naira tourneys and um, also going to Monmouth. So I just didn't have success. I mean, (laughs) I was close, but no cigar, and I guess what really got me over the top was winning the 2017 uh, Wood uh, Memorial Challenge at the Big A. So, um, yeah, yeah. And then with that, I got a – with the pandemic, I got a taste of the um, the online through horse players and uh, horse tourneys. And um, was fortunate to qualify a couple of years in a row and take advantage of it last year. It was um, – just a good run.
0: So you qualified online for 2022, right? The, the one that you ended up winning.
8: Yes, correct. I qualified. Uh, yeah, I believe I qualified in maybe August or September. Yes, that was online. Now, that being said, I prefer the um, the on site tourneys because of the camaraderie between the horse players. And uh, I, I just, you know, I'd rather be on track. If I could go into the paddock, you just I I have always had a better feel at the racetrack when I'm playing horses. You know, you sit at a computer all day long and you just don't get the feel of the track. I I seem to have more confidence when I play live. But um, and, and some of the on site, I'm sorry, the online tourneys, you know, they pick the races for you. They're mandatory races and some of them. You look and you're like, well, I don't like the the races today. I don't really feel confident, so I'm not playing. So, but I, I managed to overcome that, and uh, now I'm a i am I guess I'm a seasoned uh, online player because I've qualified for BCBCC, another NHC seat. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm adjusting.
0: Never too late to figure it out, that's for sure. But <laughs> uh, so, I guess, uh, what did you did you do anything differently last year? um in terms of preparation that may have led to to some success having had a couple of experiences before with you know with really not not doing all that great which of course all of us have gone through did did you change any of the process or anything that you did going into the event
8: yes yes i did um i found the first year i qualified so that would have been 2018 uh 2018 nhc uh, I was kind of disorganized. I just went in. I didn't really plan properly. Hey, listen, uh, Nick, the part of the prize package and the reward for winning a contest um, at the, the 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 Wood Challenge was being in Vegas, right? So you, you get comped, you get free airfare, hotel and buffet. Yes, you've been there many times. It's great. So I I was not that I was overwhelmed, but I was a little disorganized and I also had a back issue. So I had a little problem moving around, mobility. And uh, so I didn't do that great. But I think, Nick, what really helped me is when I qualified the year before and the NHC was in August. Right. I'm kind of a sort of a creature of habit. And it takes me a while to get adjusted to my surroundings. I'm a guy, if I'm in a spot for the first time in Vegas, at a hotel, I'm not as comfortable as if I just went back a couple of months later. So I think that was a key. Um, in August, I had gone, and that was kind of unique, having an NHC in August. And I think I had a distraction with the pool. I'm a pool and sun guy, so <laughs> it was great to go out in the 115 degree weather, right, and hit the pool. And uh, so I think the quick turnaround really got me comfortable because a couple of months later, you're back in Vegas and uh, you're like, hey, I know how to get I know how to do this. And I had a couple tough beats uh, in August. Uh, I I had a DQ on day one at Saratoga. And um, that kind of really changed. It kind of really messed with my mind going into Saturday. And I Saturday morning, uh, I just was reaching out. For these bombs, too early, I should have just held tight for a little while. But um, what I decided to do uh, at this NHC uh, 2022 was be more organized. Okay. And I think it made a big difference. I'm the type of guy that needs to have organization. So, what I did this year is I broke down every racetrack and every race. And I labeled the race as either an A race, B race, C race, or X. An X race would be, I am totally never playing the race. I X'd it out of my DRF on my legal pad. I X'd it out. I'm not playing that race. It's not a contest race for an optional. So I had a list of races going into each day that were a possibility. Now, the A races would mean I am definitely playing the race. It's going to be one of my optionals. A B race, depending on scratches, could be a possibility. And a C race is on the fence, depending on what the odds and how I'm doing. So I think having that plan definitely helped me out. So um, I was a little more organized. And then once you start getting on a roll, the confidence level goes up and everything just seemed to be working for me.
0: So that was something that you had not done previously that you specifically did last year.
8: Correct, correct. Oh, that's great. We'll be doing it again this year. As a matter of fact, uh, last night when I got back from uh hockey tournament that I was at, um, I popped up the Equibase uh, entries for Friday. And I've already classified Aqueduct, Tampa, Gulfstream, and Oaklawn. And so I have a list of races that are playable and races that I don't think are not are Races that I'm not interested in playing in the tournament.
0: So without obviously giving away anything that would, that would put you at a disadvantage, what would an A race have in it that a C race wouldn't? Maybe a vulnerable, vulnerable favorite or maybe an extreme pace scenario, something like that?
8: Yes. Um, when I look for an A race, now, again, I'll give you an idea, and I, but I, I'm not giving anything away particularly because it's, it's so difficult to sure. you know string these win- winners together in any case. So I'll give you an example. Um, Aqueduct. Um, My A-race, one of my A-races is race seven. But there's a caveat to that. I classified it as an A-race. And then I have in parentheses, it's a probable mandatory race. Um, An A-race for me would be a larger field where price is likely, uh, a, a value price is likely. Or it has a vulnerable favorite. Now, I didn't check out any PPs yet. And because I'm such a Naira guy, um, race seven, I know most of the horses, okay? The, the races I'm keying on are either, you know, high claimers, you know, older horses, distance races, horses where you have a, a, lot of, a lot of form on the DRF, right? I don't want to play a maiden special weight race in an optional race unless I have some kind of angle or maybe first time turf or chain, trainer change, jockey change but I try to stay away from maiden specials. So an A race would be a race, like you said, either a vulnerable favorite or a large field where I think it's going to produce a price. Now, when I say price, I don't necessarily mean a cap horse, but I'm looking for 12, $12 horse, 15, 18, something like that.
0: I think that makes perfect sense, right? I mean, you're, you're, We've talked at length on this podcast already about vulnerable favorites and identifying Mm -hmm. ones that that you want to take a swing against because of the danger of taking on a favorite that you can acknowledge is pretty, pretty likely to win. And so I think that's a that's a huge part of of what you've done. I know in the past I've I've done that. I've I've made spreadsheets of what I thought basically took every race and broke it down in one spreadsheet with eight columns. And I just I colored in what I thought the extreme pace scenarios were. Right. Mm-hmm. Because for me, you know, something more chaotic is likely to happen in an extreme pace scenario than it is in one that doesn't have one. And so there are always going to be some opportunities for that across the, you know, the, the, the eight tracks that we have the opportunities to look at. On the topic right. of the eight tracks, will you look at all the races or are, are there some tracks that you're just going to cut loose altogether?
8: No, I, you know, I have to tell you, in the past, uh, before my my NHC win, but the past couple of years, I qualified. I I focused on Aqueduct or and Saratoga in when it was in, in August, right? Because I'm I think I'm a Naira expert. I'm a, I'm a New York guy. You know I know New York horses. I know the the, the trainers. I know the I, I know the angles. But I think, believe it or not, a blessing in disguise for me last year was when Aqueduct got canceled uh, the second day, the, the Saturday and Sunday of that tournament because of weather, correct? Yes, I think so. Right. Yeah. So Nick, I had some, I I realized thinking about it now, Friday, my first winner of uh, last year um, was in the eighth race at Aqueduct. So that was the first one that got me started at $29 horse. So I can't say that my success race at the big A has not been good, but I think I was focusing too much the prior years on just playing Equita. You know, it's like, okay, oh, I I'm a sloppy track. I, I know the breeding. I know this horse loves an off track. And I was I was falling into the trap of playing seven or eight horse fields where, you know, there may not, where the va- favorite was really not vulnerable, you know, and I was ma- possibly married to one of these horses because of a past win that I had on him, a big score. So I'm like, Hey, now since Aqueduct was canceled, actually when I, when I heard Aqueduct was canceled, I was bummed out. I'm like, Oh, sh- that's, this is going to really, you know, ruin my chances because I know Aqueduct have been on any track. Not that I don't know Gulfstream or, or Kentucky tracks, but, um, you, know, you, you you follow, you, you usually go with your, the tracks that you know the best. So it forced me then on Saturday, Friday night to sit down and it's like, oh man, I've got to open up Oak Lawn, Fairgrounds, Laurel and Tampa and and take a closer look, Santa Anita. I got to take a closer look at these races. I really got to do the work now um, because sometimes, you know, you look at entries, the pre-entries, even I'm looking at Aqueduct on Friday, coming up this Friday. And you have preconceived notions about horses that you've bet before. And you're like, oh, I got to play this horse. You know, I had him three races ago. We had a bad trip. But and you don't end up handicapping the race properly. So with the cancellation of the big A, it really made me analyze other tracks and other races and look for alternatives. And I think that helped me. You know, we all. Hey, listen, I've been playing this game for, uh, for over 40 years. So we all know how to handicap, right? It's just a matter of putting the work in.
0: No doubt about it, and you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So I mean, in your right. case, it I think having to broaden your horizons a little bit actually ended up helping. Which yes. I had told mm-hmm. you ahead of time that at an NHC that had no aqueduct for two days that you were gonna you were gonna emerge victorious, I'm guessing you would have taken I, a big price. I, I would
8: tell you, Nick. I would If you tell me this coming up this NHC that aqueduct's canceling for the next three days, I would say I have no shot. But now I would say, hey. Now it's just going to make me work harder and look into those Oak Lawn races, uh, fairground races. Now, now again, it, things have changed a little bit um, since I've won. Now, I've, I did a lot of work on Oakland, did a lot of work on it. So I, I'm more familiar with the other tracks. The tracks that I had issue with is the West Coast tracks, um, specifically Golden Gate. You know, I know Santa Anita, I've been out there this past April, uh, so I have a better feel for it. But I, I think also in this past year um the not having golden gate at the final table was a blessing in disguise for me also because that was that sam houston and when i heard it was sam houston going to the final you know the final table i'm like oh boy I'm not a Sam Houston guy. I don't hardly play. But then, I when I opened the card to look at the races, I'm like, "Wow, these are horses I know. These are stakes <laughs> races. This is a great card." Why wasn't I playing Sam Houston? <laughs> so, so that helped me too. Because yeah, you you know, certain tracks and you you don't really play off often, and um, so you don't have as good of a feel. Obviously,
0: worst part of Sam Houston being involved in it was having to listen to the announcer. Which is, oh yeah,
8: yeah. <laughs> I got you. No, actually, you're. In, I hey, you're doing a great job doing that.
0: No, I appreciate it very much. I promise, I did not make David say anything about that so that I could could get myself a free plug. But yeah, that's, that's the, you know, when, when we drew that card, and actually, when we planned on that on that day, I said to the uh, assistant GM, I said, you know, you you chose NHC weekend, which for is problematic for two reasons. One of which is that I won't be able to go. And he uh, he didn't mm-hmm. feel bad. And then I said, "But the good thing is that I could really see them using some of our races in the final table, and we had an excellent card." So it really- oh,
8: I couldn't believe the card. As a matter of fact, um, after um, the end of the semifinals on that Sunday, went back to my table, and uh, they asked me how I'm feeling because I had the lead and. Uh, I'm like, well, yeah, I'm a little nervous, but I'm just gonna play and you know try to be relaxed. And the only thing I'm bummed out about is Sam Houston. And then my a friend of mine at the table said, Gary Wright told me he says, David, did you look at the card? Did you look at those races at Sam Houston? I said no. When I opened it, I'm like, whoa! I could, I had a shot. I <laughs> these races I can play That's uh, pretty, yeah. pretty- Right. There's a couple of horses popped up that I knew from Churchill that I've played before. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's it's, it's uh, that that worked out well.
0: Made it a little bit more approachable for sure.
8: No, Absolutely. No. Again, we always would rather play stakes races. Right. You have the form, you know, the quality of horses. But, um, you know, the, the, the thing is, though, sometimes um, and I, I think Andy Serling coined this phrase uh, when you're playing low level claimers, He said, uh, you know, bad horses win bad races. So sometimes the form reversal on these lower level claimers just become incredible. You're like, how did that horse? So in in lower level claimers, I look for back class, right? That, okay, could this horse run at 78 to an 82 buyer that may win this race? does he have any back form because i see everything's in the 50s 60s and 70s low 70s has buyers. i'm like well he doesn't compete these days he's getting older but you know a year ago on this track on the same distance same track condition this horse won at 28 to 1 so i'm like i'm looking for a firm break. if he did it once he may be able to do it again so there are other you know little angles you have to look for sometimes i think
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's where, you know, you, we're all asked to, to be creative. We're forced to be creative in, in successful horseplay and in contest play. And those are the races sometimes where you have to be the most creative. And I think that, you know, if you're, if you're able to make a good case, they're, they're the ones that can definitely be the most rewarding. You're primarily a DRF guy. Is there any, any other handicapping software or tool that you'll integrate into your approach? Yeah,
8: this year I'll be using actually at the Eclipse Awards ceremony in uh, at the Breakers. I ran into it was believe by the way, what a great event! I mean, that was <laughs> the the icing on the cake of my year. You know, it's just uh, just to be in that room with all the horse owners and the trainers and the jockeys. Uh, it was just an incredible experience, and I, I appreciate so much. I, Kudos to the NHC, uh, the NTRA, I mean, for putting on such a great event. But, um, yeah, so, I mean... Yeah, I just actually lost my train of thought you just thinking about
0: someone that I guess handicapping product related at the, uh, Oh yes.
8: Yes. I ran into Scotty McKeever. That's I uh, thank you for refreshing my memory. Um, yeah, so Scotty has equine edge. So I've been looking at equine edge. I've been I'm messing around with it the last month and I will be using that. Um, so that's the only other thing in, uh, that I'll be using at this point. Uh, it's a very helpful, uh, useful tool to me. And uh, other than that, I go back to the basics, you know, th- just my DRF. And uh, also, I, you know, I check out um, uh, breeding on Equibase and, um, you know, it, it's especially on maiden special weights. And, uh, but th- the key also is I watch a r- lot of race replays and I did that this weekend, especially on the tracks that I don't watch on a regular basis, like Fairgrounds, uh, Oak Laurel, Tampa Bay. So I put that type of work in.
0: That sounds, uh, that sounds great, David. I really appreciate you giving us some insight into what you've done. And obviously, you've had a ton of success, uh, continued success, hopefully. And go make history and become the only two-time winner.
8: Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, you know what a difficult task this is. So you start looking at the, the horse players, the list of horse players in there, including yourself. And you, but you can't let it intimidate you. You know, it's like, hey, listen, we're horse players. If you get on a on a roll, anything can happen, and it just shows what ha- what I did last year. But uh, you know, it's it's it'll be fun, and uh, yeah, it'll be. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks again. Nick.
0: Without question, thank you for joining me, David Harrison, the 2022 NHC champion. We're gonna continue on here next up on the nhc podcast on in the money media we have one of our i think i have three guests that are not actually participating but unlike the other two this next guest has participated in the uh, nhc it is newly minted hall of famer contest player friend of contest player and director of contest play. jim goodman jim congratulations great to have you
9: that's a long title there nick i i'm i'm glad to be here um I enjoy the NHc, and um, uh, I've I participated a few years, and um, I was lucky enough to uh, uh, to experience all ends of the NHc, from managing tournaments to playing in tournaments. It's a lot of fun.
0: If I gave you all the proper accolades, I'd probably be introducing you for the whole show. So yeah, right. <laughs> was, but um, I know that's that's only part of it. So obviously, you are. I mean, in many ways, you're sort of the of the, the the father of live money tournament play because you started the Grade One Gamble. Is was it 2009?
9: Uh, yeah, that's about right. I think I, I started here in 05, and it was either 08 or 09. And and uh, to give full credit, I wasn't I was here, but uh, the originator was actually somebody I'm sure is known to your listeners named Jude Feld, who's with horse racing. Uh, Uh, radio network and was a trainer in his own right in California and worked here for us managing tournaments on a contract basis when I first got here. Uh, So he actually started the grade one gamble with 32 players at 2,500 bucks a piece. And we sold it out in about 10 minutes. And then I've grown it. Uh, I guess I I can't be considered the father, but I guess uh, I'm the nurturer of it. And I think last spring we had 279 entries at $3,500 a piece. So, has grown substantially, and and I like to think it's one of the stops on the NHC tour that a lot of people really circle on their calendar. And uh, we we've, we've done a really good job. I have got a great product to sell here. It's kind of kind of like selling BMWs or Mercedes. I just don't screw it up too bad.
0: <laughs> well, you're being uh, you're being a little unfair to yourself, but it does help certainly to have Keeneland to offer up not only from a racing perspective, but as a destination for people to get to. In terms of the Grade One gamble, the transition that's had to take place from know, being an, an on-site only tournament to now one where you allow uh, online play to, to, to also be part of it, Do you? does a part of you wish it was still on track only or, or just do the sheer numbers and the handle make it a necessity to allow online <laughs> play
9: as well? A, a very large part of me wants it to be on track only. Um, last fall in particular, we I was very disappointed with the number of on-track players. We only had about 110 or 115, I think. Uh, out of 230, uh, it makes a different atmosphere. I mean, it used to be really cool. And, and you've played my tournament before. And I, when I was on track only, I had a unique feature that had uh, the, the player had to play half his bankroll in one of the last two races. And that's I was unique in that sense. It made the atmosphere in the room similar to a NHC, smaller level, you know, smaller scale, but really exciting. And and I don't have that anymore because the person may be sitting in Houston, Texas playing, you know, or, or Los Angeles, California winning. And uh, it's not the same. I started, I really considered this time having the grade one gamble as on track only, and then having my fall tournament be a hybrid. And I looked at the numbers and I really couldn't justify doing that. And I really didn't want to make a lot of people mad either. So we, we left it like it is. There are certain players, because we've got Canadian players, we've got players that, that just can't get here. And um, the numbers are, have made it difficult, but also the convenience the players made it difficult. And I really don't want to have any ill will with players. I, I can't afford that. I want to keep everybody happy. And uh, I think for the foreseeable future, it will probably continue to be a hybrid. Having said that, I wish everyone would come to Kingland. It's a different experience. Um, it's We take really good care of you. We take care of you the the entire weekend and you experience springtime in Kentucky, which is a a treat of in and of itself.
1: Yeah.
0: And, you know, I'll tell you the on-track element of it. It had a feeling of like the Masters or Wimbledon that we would, especially going back. I started, I played my first grade one gamble in 2014 and we all had to wear coats and ties. We were in the Lexington room upstairs. And so there was just an element of it that you weren't going to get anywhere else. And, you know, I, I think I'm somebody that doesn't mind going to, I mean, I, now I go to the racetrack with a, a coat and tie on all the time. So I don't, you know, I didn't mind it. And I thought it was really cool. Inevitably there were people that may not have felt the same way, but it did have an on-track component that you really couldn't. Uh, it was unmatched. But again, it's understandable that the sheer power of the online offering is a little bit tough to overlook. And and I guess it's important also that you evolve as a as a contest host. I will tell you also that when we started doing a live money tournament at Sam Houston in 2022, I put in the half bet half the bank bankroll in one of oh, the great. Did. I did. Cause I, I, love it. I think it's a, I think it's a great way, you know, the majority of people are going to have to do that anyway. And I think it's a great thing to have to do in terms of, of turning the, the contest upside down a little bit. I think it gives everybody that's even within range a little bit more of a shot too. So, and, and I mean, the most important thing is that it's going to add more money to the pools and that's the whole point.
9: Yeah. I took it out. I could put it back in. I, it, it's difficult to audit when I've got people playing different places. Yeah. Um, when I when I audited here, I could just pull the top all the all the prize winners and make sure they had done that. And I had people manually doing it with on a spreadsheet. And it's difficult to do that when I've got people playing at six different spots. But I really like it too, so it may come back at some point.
0: I would I would not be a problem for me. But um, although I guess I'm not allowed to play in your contest. So either way, <laughs> talk to us a little bit about the NHC. You you told me offline you were very surprised about getting into the hall of fame, you know, obviously that's a a recognition that's been given to uh, just a couple, you know, just a, basically a couple handful worth of players. What does it mean to you?
9: It means a lot. Um, I have, uh, I had never played in contests before I came to work at Keeneland. And when I, my first year at Keeneland, we used to have a $2 win place tournament in December that was, on a Friday, I think, or Saturday, and then Turfway had one on Sunday and Turfway was running live. We had people coming from all over the country here. I think one year we had 525 players that paid $100 a piece playing for two or three spots because there was no online then, and, and it was very tough to get into the NHC, and, and it was just an amazing atmosphere for me, and, and I started playing a little bit on the side, and then I got serious about the NHC. And I did qualify for five years in a row. And then COVID kind of changed my tournament play. And I, I, I should have played, turned it in the other direction, but it, I kind of got away from tournament play a lot. And I've got other things. I've got a granddaughter now. I've got some other things going on in my life. And I really haven't concentrated on playing in tournaments. So my five-year streak ended a few years ago. But I think I, I was voted into the Hall of Fame. and I'm very appreciative of b- because of the tournament directorship at Kingland. And I think I'm only one of two people, uh, Steve Christ and I, that that are not in the hall based on their tournament prowess. And that's an honor as well, because I think Steve is really the father of the NHC. And um, it it was very gratifying to me. I've met a lot of great people in the tournament world, and I consider a lot of them my good friends. Uh, I think we have treated them well at Keeneland. And and my election into the Hall of Fame is – as much a reflection of Keeneland as it is of me. So uh, I wear a couple of different hats at Keeneland, and this is one that I'm very proud to wear. And I'll really enjoy Sunday night when they announce the four of us into the Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah, it's a, uh, and look, you're going in with a pretty accomplished class in and of itself. I know Dennis DeCower is one of the, the most well-respected contest players out there. So too with Bill Sherman and Jose Arias is uh, one long shot at Del Mar away from being the only two-time NHC champion. So it's a, That's right. it's a really, really well-deserving group uh, going in. And, and obviously, I mean, you're, you're, you're very much deserving having been such a friend of contest players. One thing we could all look forward to in April each and every year was that just about everyone got together to see each other at Keeneland and we would all kind of descend on the green room and, and have a, you know, plenty of fun and, and a little bit of debauchery, at least as much as Lexington would allow.
9: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know about the debauchery. I didn't participate in that.
0: Yeah, no, never. I've, I've never, yeah. never seen any of that myself. So, uh-huh. well, you get to go in. Uh, you're going to the NHC anyway. Obviously, you're being inducted into the Hall of Fame. What capacity will you be there in this year?
9: I am actually, and this happened before I was voted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, I agreed to uh, take over the audit process for the NHC. So. What I've been working on uh, as we're taping this is working on the mandatories for the uh, last chance contest on Thursday. And uh, I'll be doing, uh, along with a couple other people on the committee, uh, the mandatories for Friday, Saturday, and then the final table on Sunday. So that's my main goal out there. I may help with registration, uh, putting out fires, a little bit of everything, because... You know, managing a tournament is what I do, and, and uh, I'm, I'm so happy to help Michelle and Holly, all the people that do, do such a great job running the NHC. I, I think they do not get enough credit. I think they do from the players that are actually there and see all the work, but all the people that are negative on Twitter about the NHC and uh, for whatever reasons, all they need to do is see how hard these people at the NTRA work. Keith, Holly, um Michelle and the entire staff uh just give it their all uh, during that the, the you know, the past two weeks out of Vegas actually and, and all year long running the NHC tour. So uh, it's an honor for me to help them out. Anything I can do to make it easier for those players out there, I will certainly do that.
0: Yeah, they definitely don't get enough credit, and of course, horse players can be a pretty uh, be a pretty <laughs> rough lot sometimes. So I, I know they've their skin has really thickened over the years, probably out of necessity. But no, a big thank you, of course, to Michelle and everybody that's gonna gonna keep the show going. Holly and, and Casey and everybody, Keith, uh, that you'll be assisting with. So at least you get to go and have a little bit of fun. I know you're. Uh, you let me know you're taking your wife, and you guys have uh, some dinners and entertainment planned.
9: We do. Uh, We've had Adele tickets for a year and a half now, almost. Uh, We she canceled out last year during the NHC, and we kept the tickets. And then we they rescheduled us for Thanksgiving, and we said we can't go. And they said you'll be in a special presale, so I was able to do that. So I have Adele tickets for Friday night, Uh, and then we have so many great places to eat in Vegas, and so many friends to see. So. Yeah, it's a great week for us. A week in Vegas is is hard though. I'm going out on Tuesday and coming back on Monday, so uh, I may be a vegetable when I get back.
0: It's it's hard if you're going to the dice table too much, but yeah. uh, but it, no, it's hard no matter what. I I saw Adele with my wife in December. You're going to love it. It's uh, it's as advertised. So, yeah. it's uh yeah, it'll definitely be be very very enjoyable. Well, Jim, thank you so much. I know you're a very busy man. I don't want to keep you for much longer. Congratulations again on the induction into the Hall of Fame and I will see you soon.
9: I appreciate it. We will see you out there. Thanks, Nick.
0: You bet. All right, moving along on the NHC podcast. Up next on the In The Money NHC podcast, we have a guest that is a multiple qualifier for the NHC and also a soon-to-be-inducted Hall of Famer, part of a family of uh, very successful contest players. Bill Sherman joining me. Bill, great to have you. Congratulations are in order even before we get started.
10: Thank you, Nick. Nice to be with you.
0: Glad to have you. I know we uh, we met some years ago in on the contest circuit, and I've always enjoyed speaking with you and Paul both. And I probably see Paul more out out and about than you, but he's uh, he likes to. to well, I mean, this was also all pre COVID, right? When when we, right, could, right. we could travel around a little bit more freely. But uh, so you were you were headed towards not only being inducted into the Hall of Fame, but your twentieth NHC. You have seen this thing evolve quite a bit over the years.
10: It sure has. Although, interestingly, it when I started, it was well. What was Bally's now? What is it called? Horseshoe. Um, so it's it, it's gone full circle and come back there, um, which is kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. So you went. You, you've been actually to almost every spot that it's been at. My first one was at Red Rock in. Uh, oh sure. Yeah, which which actually was a, a really really nice facility, and and I thought the race book setup was great, but obviously it had it had a, a limitation in terms of field size that the NTRA wanted to uh, eventually yeah. expand. Yeah, agreed. But yeah, we were in we were all in the race book. It was it was actually a lot of fun. Um, so talk to me about the Hall of Fame. I know this is something it, the I guess for everybody that's listening the the way the Hall of Fame inductees are chosen is that a group of people nominate potential inductees, and then they are notified that they're in. Is, is that correct?
10: Yeah, that's what what happened. I'm not sure about the nominating process. Uh, my brother is on the players committee, and I think that they and maybe a larger group uh, are asked uh, if they want to nominate someone. Um, but yes, I was, I was notified a couple days before it was uh, publicized on the NTRA site. And I was quite surprised, to be honest with you, because um, I know I've been nominated in prior years, and I think that the folks who can vote are people who have been part of the NTRA or part of the NHC for 10 years. And I've been around so long that I, I feel like a lot of the newer players, they're, they're like, you know, who the who the heck is that guy? Um where I, I tend to know a lot of the folks who've been doing it for even longer than that. Um, so it was a little bit of a surprise, but I'm I'm just absolutely thrilled about it.
0: Well, definitely many congratulations and everybody listening, most people listening are familiar with the great amount of success that you've had. So how did you, how'd you get started? How'd you get into contests? How did you uh, get into racing, I guess, first and foremost?
10: Gosh, well, I'll start with racing because that was a lot earlier. Uh, I grew up on Long Island in New York, and uh, I started going to the racetrack, but it was not the flats. It was harness. I would take a bus on Friday nights to Roosevelt Raceway before I could drive. Um, And then uh, after that, uh, when I could drive, we were pretty close, lived pretty close to Aqueduct and Belmont. And so I would start going there. I remember a lot of winter days going out to Belmont, uh, excuse me, to Aqueduct. Uh, And then I went to school up in Albany, New York, which was not too far from Saratoga. So I started uh, going there. And then my brother and I would, uh, I think we had a streak of about 30 years uh, going up there for at least uh, four days to a week. Um, But that was broken with COVID. Uh, I didn't fly back for that. Um, but the con- contest was, was interesting. I didn't know anything about contests until one day, 21 years ago. So a year before I first qualified, my brother called me up and said, hey, I just went to a, a handicapping tournament at Belmont and I qualified for the national championship. And I said, well, what the heck is that? And he said, well, it's, it's a thing. And uh, why don't you come out and uh, watch it? Uh, I met this guy, uh, and we've become friends, Steve Wolfson, uh, and he's going to be out there and, and why don't you come out and join us and you can watch. And at about the same time, uh, my college and, uh, for one year and graduate school roommate for three years, Mitch Schumann, uh, called me up and said, Hey, you still, you still playing the horses? Cause I'm getting into it and. Uh, just wanted to see if you were still in it. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I am, and I'm going out to Las Vegas, uh, to watch this national championship. Why don't you come? So he came with me and, uh, we then proceeded to, we met, uh, the, the two Wolfson, Steve and his dad and his, and Steve proceeded to win the thing. He, he won that year. And Mitch and I were hooked. We were like, oh, this looks like fun. And we spent the entire next year trying to qualify. And I qualified in, uh, in Arizona at uh, Turf Paradise in like mid-December. Uh, and we went and he qualified somewhere and we had a blast and we were hooked. And from that point on, we did nothing but play contests. We, back then you would fly all over the place because there wasn't really any online qualifying
3: yeah that
0: obviously probably made things quite a bit more difficult i actually interviewed jim goodman for Mm -hmm. uh for this podcast a little earlier who's also being inducted into the hall of fame and he was talking about the old keeneland nhc qualifier that they would have in december when keeneland would have an event and then turfway would have one the next day and he said there was one year where 525 players came yeah. And I thought, man, I mean, that will absolutely never happen again. There'll never be that volume in one contest other than the NHC, of course.
10: Yep, in one spot. Yeah, no, I did that that daily double okay. one or two times of uh, Keeneland up to Turfway.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I guess for for the racetrack sake, and Jim is a, a part of this, you know, they realized obviously the power of switching to a live money format. But, I mean, obviously the biggest Biggest change in terms of what's gone on has been the, the proliferation of these online contests. You primarily yeah. play online nowadays, right?
10: I would say so. Um, my wife would say so. Probably <laughs> something uh, pretty much every weekend or most weekends. And uh, But I still prefer going live. Um, this weekend, I, I drove over to Santa Anita uh, a couple hours away just because I wanted to be there. I could have played it from home, um, but, uh, there's nothing like being there. And the, the, the whole thing about this hobby that we have, this thing that we do is it's, it's just facilitating what I think is much more important. And that's the friends I've made along the way and the camaraderie we all share. And you don't get that online. You're sitting in, in, your living room at home, it's just not the same. And so I much prefer to go to contests and I'm hoping that when I have a little bit more time, I'm going to be able to go to more again.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more that you meet all the best people at the racetrack. There's yeah. just no, there's just no getting around it. And and I think it's a, it's a biggest part of it. I, I can also say that a couple of years ago, I was at the symposium for the racetrack industry program in Tucson and there was an NHC panel And some conversation was taking place about hybrid versus online versus live contests. And I I said, you know, I didn't mince words about the fact that I was one of two people in the room that had actually played in the NHC. I said, you're going to be very hard pressed to find a horse player that doesn't prefer to be at the racetrack. The only reason why we're not is because it's not always geographically feasible, but you know, and and, and uh, speaking to Jim earlier and referencing the Grade 1 Gamble and how it has now had an integration of uh, online play as well. And Jim basically said flat out, I, I wish it was an an, on, uh, an in-person contest only still. And yep. so, you know, I don't blame him. There was always that element of being at the racetrack and, and going to a place like Santa Anita where they treat the contest players so well. Yep. It, uh, it's
4: just unmatched.
10: Yep. That may have been where we first met. I, I remember uh you and and Jonathan and Jonathan trying to to toss away a contest that he had in his back pocket and I was like what the heck are you doing and I think that was at Santa Anita and I think you were you there
1: I was
0: I think that's exactly where it was yep yeah
10: yeah
5: yeah,
0: yeah I want to say it was the I want to say it was the mayor but now you and I and Paul also went to dinner at the Horseplayer World Series. So I wonder oh, really? if that and we sat together. So I wonder if that was where we met, and then we were at Santa Anita together shortly after that.
10: When it was uh, at uh, whatchamacallit? call it? What what was Orleans? The Orleans, yeah.
0: That was a really fun event. You know, boy, if, if there was if there was something that could come back, it was people. People said to me, "What is the Horse Player World Series like?" And and I said, "It's like the it's like a poor man's NHC."
10: Yeah. Yeah, but it had a great year to that and loved it. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And you know, the Orleans was was like a fun old, you know, old time Vegas property. So yeah, here's to hoping that thing comes back because it was uh, was actually, I went went twice in my whole life. I I actually cashed both times. I mean, the prizes are much smaller than the NHC, but I had a I had a blast both times.
10: Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah. This is this is NHC number 20 for you. You have cashed four? is it four times? I, I just looked four or five
10: times in your life? I don't know. I have not had, I I had one close call, close call being doing very well and it was early on. I may have uh, finished in the, you know, in the money top 50 or or 10% or whatever it is four times. I don't know, but there was one time I was close. It was, I think in my third one and I was leading after day one and finished sixth. and I've, I've had a couple of close calls on the tour, uh, and in fact, I got edged out by, I think it was Brent Sumja and, uh, uh Brent and Brett Weiner, but we, we all ended up at a contest. I think it was in an OTB outside of Dallas at like the end of December and, uh, Brett beat me in the, like the last race of the contest and knocked me out of it. So. What a, um, but I think your question a was NAC finishes I think maybe four times but I don't I don't even know it, it hasn't it, been for significant money I,
0: I just pulled it up so yeah you you've got three good caches, a couple of small ones I think one may have been a consolation contest or something like that but oh, okay. yeah, you you were 6th in 2005 16th in 2016, 22nd in 2017. But you know, I mean, it just goes to show you that the, the NHC is an extremely difficult contest
10: where
4: it is. you
0: obviously need a, you need a lot to happen.
10: It is. And that's why the accomplishments of, of someone like Jose are just amazing. And almost winning it twice is just incredible. Same thing with uh, Steve Wolfson. I think he was first and second or first and third. It's just very hard to do.
0: Yeah. It's pretty, pretty incredible that, uh, you know, I was thinking about it. I, I had A.J. Benton on earlier. He is three for three cashing and was third last year. And I said to him, I, I asked him how many cap horses he thinks he's hit or how many horses that that paid $40 or more. And he said he thinks it's somewhere between 10 and 15. And and I was ashamed to think that I I've been to the NHC seven times, eight times, and I've hit one. <laughs> so it's a lot, big, yeah. big difference there. That could, that also has a lot to do with the other you know, kind of horses that I play in the contest. And he's obviously mm-hmm. somebody that's pretty aggressively playing long shots. So on that topic, uh, you know, talk to us a little bit about your approach, your, your, uh, as far as having two entries, are you, are you going to play one geared maybe a little bit towards long shots? Or are you going to, you know, have a specific strategy with two? How will you do yeah.
10: it? Well, this year, I only have one. I've had two, I think, what have they done it for about seven, eight, nine years?
0: Yeah, something like that. I I apologize. I thought you had two.
10: I do not have two this year. Um, I've had two most of the other years. And it's interesting. We have this debate uh, amongst ourselves, my brother and some of my friends as to what the benefit of that second entry is and some of them feel it's it's less than equal to the first because what tends to happen is you're playing pretty high priced horses generally on both and then you hit on one eventually and that becomes your main ticket and then the other one you know becomes a secondary ticket and and what tends to happen is you often you often split them on, unless you're Jonathan Kinchen and you get both in the top top 10 <laughs> Um, but what tends to happen or what we've seen is that, you know, one becomes your main ticket and you're kind of playing that for winners with maybe a, you know, a five to one minimum or something in that nature, depending upon where you are and what point in the tournament it is. Uh, and then the other one you're taking, you know, almost consistently bomb after bomb. Um, Unless, and I think what, what Jonathan has done in the past, is he plays both exactly the same for like a day and a half, and then maybe at the end starts to diverge a little bit when he sees what he, where he is and what he needs. I know there are, there are others that do that same thing. I've never done that. I've always told myself that would probably be the smart thing to do, but I've never had the discipline to do it.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I, you know, I, this is like the, to me, this is the $64,000 question associated with the NHC is how do you play too? And, mm-hmm. and I know Jonathan did an incredibly good job of it in 2015 and he did duplicate his picks on a lot of, of the, uh, the races. And, you know, it just gave him an incredible amount of power when it, when he hit a yeah. Yeah. shot or something like that.
10: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um, as far as preparation goes, you are. what are your, your go-tos in terms of things you must have to prepare? I, obviously, the racing form of some sort, but are you somebody that looks at any kind of software or additional figures?
10: Yeah, um, I use a couple of different tools. Um, with DRF, I use the formulator, and um, I will use that primarily to, to have easy access to race replays be honest with you but you know somewhat interested in in their pace figures and 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 their speed figures but in terms of of using figures I'm primarily a thorough graph guy and I've kind of melded that with HTR as my other main tool so between the three I kind of like to have and it's unfortunate because HTR is usually not up until the day before and that's the thing I tend to like the glance at first to kind of give me a sense of the race. Um, so it makes it a little tough to prepare. I mean, the thoroughs are are available uh, sooner than that and, and the formulators uh, available sooner that sooner than that. So I'm kind of already going outside of the way I normally do things because if I want to prepare a couple days in advance and I like to at least start a few days in advance, given there are so many tracks and so many races, um, you know, I'll start with the uh, with for, for the NHC, I'll start with the, the formulator and thorough's.
1: Yeah,
0: I think that's uh makes a lot of sense. I've actually tried to integrate Thorograph more into my regular handicapping lately, and I do think there's a there's a real place for it. I, I signed up for the, the free uh, yeah. products from the NHC so that they can market themselves if you do well. But I've noticed I think in in and and I've always been just a you know regular speed figure guy I made buyer figures for years and mm-hmm. and uh, I'm a big time from U.S. believer. I like Craig Mulkowski's methodology a lot, integrating pace into it. But I yeah. feel like in the and I'd love for you to to certainly add to this in some of the I guess some of the races with more exposed form. So some of these you think about a place like Tampa Bay Downs where we're going to get a a pretty steady diet at least on Friday Saturday they have a good card, but we're going to get a lot of claimers with a with a deep amount of form oakland will be the same kind of way i feel like the thoroughgraphs maybe have a little bit of an edge there because you see these horses come in and out of form somewhat yeah. quick a-
10: agreed agreed
0: and i think if you can detect a pattern or or something or you know point to a Uh, situation maybe that yielded a good performance it could also help you maybe find a horse that might be a bit better price i I do think that's something and everybody that that's listening to this that's in the nhc has the opportunity to contact the uh, folks at thoragraph and let them know you'd like to see the products so that's uh, i think something that that certainly wouldn't hurt the cause well it's monday afternoon already Um, have you started preparing for at least friday's races
10: i have not my plan is to start tomorrow Okay, right. so you're yeah. It's
0: it's funny. Yeah. I have asked I have asked everybody that and the answers have ranged very significantly. So it's it's uh it's very interesting to see everybody's individual approach. Having been there so many times and and sort of knowing the lay of the land, do you have a kind of a definitive schedule in your head of when you'd like to have a certain amount of work done, when you'll transition from Friday to Saturday, so on and so forth?
10: Yeah. Um having done it a lot. Um, what I've kind of picked up over the years is that I've, in the past, I've gotten in Tuesday, Wednesday, sometimes even Thursday, and it takes me two days before I can get a decent sleep pattern going and I'm invariably tired. And so I'm always not as far along as I'd like to be. So in recent years, I've tried to get there a little earlier, uh, even though, some of the tools that I use aren't available right away. I just like to get there and, and get a good night's sleep, and at least um, I'm not so tired that when I do get access to my tools, uh, I, I feel like I can I can get something done and be productive. So um, yeah, I'm going to get there. I probably will will start in tomorrow and hopefully finish fr- uh, Friday. By Thursday morning, in recent years, I played in that last chance, first chance. Uh, I'm not sure it's the prudent thing to do, but often I'm just like, you know, I'm on my third day there. I just want to go down and do something and I'll go do it. Um, When you have two entries, uh, you're playing in the first chance for the following year. Uh, If I did it this year, I would be in the last chance for a second entry. I'm not sure I'm going to do it this year. Um, but, you know, hopefully a question I think was when do you hope to transition to day two? I've never hit the target, but I would certainly like to be doing that by late Thursday. Be working on Saturday.
0: Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, that's always tough. You know, I, I've, I've tried to get it done by a certain time frame as well. And, and, uh, it's <laughs> yeah, but be, best laid plans, right? It's, it's what you're, what you're trying to do.
10: So the other thing is with one entry, I feel like I can, I don't know if wing it is the right word, but, um, I, I have a little bit more flexibility because now I'm making, um, you know, 18 picks a day instead of 36. Um, and that's, I guess, which we're, we're strategy uh, can come in and and be helpful in that you don't have to find thirty six races if you have set in your mind that most of the races you're gonna play the same pick.
0: Um, it's a great point and and very important for people to remember that they're listening out there that do have one, and if you have two, it can be that much more of an arduous task in terms of finding uh, everybody that you want to end up using. So Bill, thanks so much. This has been great. Uh, again, congratulations on the Hall of Fame, and I look forward to seeing you out in Vegas in a couple of days.
10: Yeah, thank you, Nick. I, I look forward to seeing you, and uh, hopefully somebody that we know can take, take home the bacon.
0: That's, that's what we're shooting for, no doubt about it. Big thanks to Bill Sherman for uh, giving us a few minutes, a few minutes more than I asked him to, very kindly. And uh, so we're going to continue on with the NHC podcast. And last but not least, on the In The Money Media NHC podcast, we have a guest with us who is going to be at the NHC. I believe it'll be for the first time. We're going to find out in just a couple of seconds. Covering the event for Horseshoe, Twitter extraordinaire, fun-loving racing personality, Racing Rachel. Rachel McLaughlin, how are you doing?
11: Hey, Nick. I'm good. It's been a long road today for you and I to get here. (laughs) And you've had a lot of other people to talk to, so thanks for working with me, and I'm glad to be on.
0: Not a problem at all. I told Peta when I agreed to do this that I just needed to get. I wanted to get it done on Monday, and so I am. I am officially getting it done on Monday because you are the eleventh interview. Everybody who's been listening, we hope that you've really enjoyed it. So we're going to go a slightly different direction with this particular segment, given that uh, that Rachel is not participating in the NHC, but you are going to be out there. Your first time going to the event, correct?
11: Yeah, I'm super excited. I, I just wanted to go just to hang out and I knew we had kind of an in with the whole horseshoe thing. And all of a sudden it turned into, hey, you want to host it and work for us? And I was like, well, hell yeah.
0: That's great. So tell us a little bit about what that means. What is the, the coverage going to be like? What are you hosting and participating in for your uh, for your company, Horseshoe?
11: Yeah. So, uh, really excited for, uh, you know, Joe Morris, a lot of people might not know him. He's an industry, uh big wig. He is a, a head of, he used to work with breeders cup and he's uh an old dog and you know, he won't mind me saying that he's been around the block and now he's in charge of all the Caesars properties. And I had told him, um, Hey, you know, I know you work with them. You've got some extra seats. We've given away seats obviously from our qualifier, Um, Could I go and just promote it? I was just going to promote it on my Twitter, hang out, talk to people, you know, and get kind of um, hang out with the people we qualified right from ours. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, Joe was like, hey, listen, I I talked to Michelle Ravencraft and you're going to go and they want to do a whole thing this year of you getting stories and talking to people and giving updates. And of course, I was super down for that it's uh honestly a great opportunity and hopefully we can do this in the future because i've all i've said over the last couple years you know we should get them a twitter we should do live updates we should do live you know stuff from the actual contest and this year we get to do it they've hired a whole production team to work with as well so i'm gonna get there wednesday night and uh thursday we're just gonna hit the ground running and try to get some cool stories and that's the thing i'm most excited about and i told them i i love I'm probably not like most racing analysts and that I don't just go back right into the room after I'm done doing a segment. I like to hang out downstairs on the apron and in the, you know, um, OTB with all the good old boys. So those are my favorite people to talk to. So hopefully going to be able to talk to some people and get some strategy. Cause I'll be the first to admit that the contest like this is not my forte. It's not something that, um, You know, I know a whole lot about, I obviously have like a basic knowledge, but I'm very excited to get betting strategies. And I have over the last couple of years that we've had the NHC qualifier at our property, but going to the actual final and talking to people about, you know, how they play and how they bet, hopefully they'll share, (laughs) share it with me. I know how betters are. They don't like to tell people usually, but hopefully we'll get some good content.
0: Yeah, fortunately, so far on this podcast, everybody's been very forthcoming about strategy and things like that. And I mean, I can certainly offer up my own. I tell everybody when they ask that my NHC success speaks for itself. I've I've not done particularly well, but it's also very hard. So I, I think it'll be pretty fascinating to get some insight into how people play. And then as you said, you know, there's always a story associated with the uh with the person who the people in in some cases that are doing well. And, and you know, last yeah. year, last year, David Harrison was a guy who was just playing for the third time and uh, he had not done well in either of the first two. And after three days, he was $725,000 richer. So that's, it's, yeah, it's, it's certainly very interesting. So where, where can people find this coverage? Is it going to be based in a, in a certain spot?
11: Yeah, so what we're going to mainly focus on is social. I think we're going to do some Twitter lives and obviously, uh hopefully everybody's following me and they can see, you know, most of it there, the NTRA Twitter as well. And then we wanted to make sure to include cuz some of some people, you know, that that do play in this, I feel like there's a lot more of a base that maybe doesn't have Twitter, so they're posting a lot of it to their um their in TRA website that you can go and click like live ap- updates and you can see the interviews and stuff. I'm really excited to kind of get the human interest pieces of it. There's like there's a dad and son duo that play every year. There's always people that come from super far away and you want to hear how long they've traveled and and along with the betting stuff I'm I'm kind of excited to see like what kind of people are doing it. Maybe people for the first time that are doing pretty well, you know, there in the first couple of days is going to be another cool story. So yeah, just follow along with me on social and you can find where, where it's all going to be.
0: Yeah. I mean, one thing you're going to notice for sure is that this is a family affair for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. One of the guys I had on here was Justin Mastari who won the, uh, the NHC back in 2021. He won the COVID delayed edition of it and he is playing along with his dad and his brother.
11: Yes. That's who I heard about, I think in one of our meetings that was on the list of people that we could interview.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that, that's a good one for sure. And then of course there are industry, you know, pseudo industry types. Um, there's three track announcers in it. Um, which usually there's, there's a couple. Um, so yeah, there's a lot, a lot to, uh, to focus on and I'm sure you're excited to work with everybody at the NTRA who put so much effort into making this thing go, uh, go so well, I'm sure you've probably never walked into like roughly a, I don't know, 20, 30,000 square foot space full of horse players.
11: No, I haven't.
0: <laughs> it's, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive and it's much better at Bally's or I'm sorry, at Horseshoe with us all being in one room as opposed to Treasure Island where we were, were segmented and, and. Yeah, and so truthfully- explain,
11: explain the difference of that to me because I, uh, Bill Downs, who I used to work with, told me a lot about it. Um, but I, but so explain why was it segmented just because they didn't have one big room for everyone to sit in
0: exactly. Yeah. They okay. just didn't have. So when the event expanded, the event expanded about 10, 12 years ago and, and they, that was when they started to allow double entries and, uh-huh. um, and it was, it had moved to treasure Island at that point And the treasure Island ballroom was just not quite big enough.
11: The TI uh, is what Bill said. I should the, call the
0: it. TI, Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was, uh, it was not quite big enough. And I will admit that, I'm somebody that in contests generally would like to stay away from everyone as much as Mm -hmm. possible. And so I went to the auxiliary room the first year I qualified back after not playing for a few years. And, um, and so we we just became accustomed to sitting in the auxiliary room. So then when we found out it was moving, it was like, okay, well, we're going to have to be in sort of the general population, but it's actually really nice because the the space in, in uh, Horseshoe is enormous. I mean, it is, there's enough room in there for everybody to be seated comfortably, plus the, the uh, mutual clerks, plus the food and, um, and there's nice. actually room to spare. So yeah, it's, it's great. That's one thing that's a, uh, that's a big improvement. It is also in it located in a different portion of the strip, which I think it might be a little bit better being a little South of where we were at the TI. It just gives you that much more access to other, other spots on the strip.
11: Yeah. I do know from, uh, the horse players hate being on top of each other. They absolutely hate it. I remember when we moved our OTB downtown from a huge old building to like a smaller, nicer, kind of more, uh, contemporary building. I got so, this was back in the day when I was just, you know, kind of a host in the winters and, uh, did the racing in the summers. You don't know how many guys came up to me and was like, this is BS. We're all on top of each other. I want my old seat with 50 feet around for everyone. So I'm sure, yeah, they all enjoy having a, a big wide berth area to hang out with. And that's another thing that's really cool. Another story that they kind of told me about to like prepare me was, um, how, what goes into, I do really want to see that it interests me just from being in, you know, an office managerial position in racing, what goes into transforming, like the horseshoe Las Vegas into the NHC Mecca. So very excited to see what all goes into that back of house, that stuff. I'm i I'm a big geek about that. So I'm kind of excited to see what all goes into that business wise.
0: Yeah. I think you'll also find that's, that's very interesting in and of itself and you'll find it interesting how people pick where to sit. Right. I mean, there's a certain bit of superstition associated with that. Ah. there are people that also didn't even
11: know, think about that. Yeah. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. No, in fact, I, I almost saw a near a near uh, mutiny. Fist when fight, you were, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Breeders Cup betting challenge when somebody took someone's table that they had sat at the day before. So oh no,
11: no, yeah. no, no, no. And, and, you and, know, can't do that. And,
0: right, and not everybody goes there knowing people. So I mean, you might have to go and 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 kind of meet people. You know, I'm I'm right. going with five people that I know very well, so we've got our table filled up, but that doesn't mean that everybody does. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of, and and you know, the good thing about horse players is that as, as much as, uh, as we might lament the things that bother us, we're a pretty welcoming lot when it comes yeah, to we are, the, yeah. the camaraderie and stuff like that. So there are people that make a lot of friendships that way.
11: Yeah. That is another cool thing just from our qualifier that I've noticed is people that, Uh, Come and they and they've made friends or they've met people and then the next year they finish very close, you know, to get a seat and then those people kind of like gravitate towards each other. It is a very, I just, I I always say when people ask me what my favorite part about horse racing is, I always say the people. Obviously, I'm a people person, as you said, a, you know, I'm I'm a gregarious person, so it's it's always my favorite to get to know who's coming and who's going. So it's gonna be, I'm gonna have a lot to choose from. uh, there at the, at the actual event this weekend.
0: Yes. You may have been called a lot of things over the years, but one of them was never introvert.
11: <laughs> That's <for> damn sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Rachel, thanks so much for joining me. This has been fun. I look forward to, to seeing you out there and, uh, and seeing everything that gets produced online.
11: Yeah, I'm super excited. You guys follow along with me on Twitter and social media and uh, super excited to have it at, at my own property, you know, in, a, in the corporate life. So if you are out there, I honestly am the like you just said, Nick, I am very not introverted. You come up and say hi to me. I love talking to people and meeting new people. So if you see me out there, come say hi.
0: Absolutely. At Racing Rachel M on Twitter and uh, be sure to follow along for everything that Rachel is going to bring forth at this year's NHC. Very, very excited to have more exposure for the event. And I can't thank all of you enough that have listened to this. Hopefully we've not droned on too much and gave you some interesting information. If you are participating in the NHC, come by and say, hi, I'd love to meet all of you and and, uh, you will not be bothering me. Even if I am, and mid-race watching something, I can, I can always be distracted and, and get back. So it's been a real pleasure to host the podcast. Again, a big thank you. And from the top down, thank you to Steve Bick, Trey Stiles, uh, Drew Coatney, A.J. Benton, Carson Matisse, Jim Goodman, David Harrison. Bill Sherman, Wendy Long, Justin Mastari, and Rachel McLaughlin, all who joined me on this podcast, really appreciate all of them being so generous with their time and sharing a lot of information about their experiences and everything that they're looking forward to at this year's NHC, where I will see all of you. A big thanks again. This has been a production of the In The Money Media Network. Nick Tamaro here. Until next time, best of luck.